0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Dialogue Novo. I'm Richard Leibovitz. And I, of course, am Jake Rome. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.
1: And if you feel obliged, go ahead and leave us a review. It not only helps with feedback, but it also helps get our voices out there. And by our voices, we mean their voices, because this is the last episode Jake and I are going to be recording together. Yeah, so uh, we're excited to
0: announce that our brand new board for next school year is put together officially. We have Matt Doran as our editor-in-chief. Radhika Sutherland
1: is going to be our chief content officer and senior editor. And you'll hear Radhika's voice later on the episode today. We have Jake Kupferman and Haley Burridge as editors-at-large, and Jim Allroots as our sound technician. So uh, this is our season one finale, and
0: as Richard alluded to, it contains a panel on which Rodica sat along with Richard and a good friend of ours named Adet and Semo, and they ventured to discuss the topic of how we got to this political climate that we're in and things we can be doing to make it better. Uh, you will also hear my voice for a brief discussion at the beginning of the episode, but. Primarily, this is going to be a QA and a with uh, members of the loyal community. So this panel goes a little bit off the rails at some times. At times, it gets pretty heated, and uh, at some points, it doesn't seem productive. But overall, I think that this is going to be very informative for people to listen to because the listeners will be able to discern exactly where and when and why we went wrong at some points, and I think that overall, it has a good educational value and and kind of demonstrates how difficult some of these discussions are because in a lot of ways the panel ended up demonstrating the reasons why we wanted to have this conversation in the first place but i think it's still going to be overall a pretty enlightening episode
1: so on that note and without further ado adet and semo and the panel (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, welcome back to Dialogue de Novo. I'm Jake Rome.
1: And I'm Richard Leibovitz.
0: And we've got Edette N. Simo here today. Is that how you say your last name?
3: I mean, it's close. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> it's uh,
1: N. Simo?
0: N. Simo. N. So uh, we're going to be talking about what specifically? Richard?
1: Oh, uh, okay. Uh, the title is How We Got Here and what we can do about it. We're basically, how how did everything lead to such a toxic environment, and how can we move forward and learn to heal?
0: Okay, good enough.
1: Is that, is that what you were thinking?
0: It's a little bit too soft and mushy for me, but, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so, Adette, you specifically wanted to talk about I'm something in this vein. Uh, so I'm just going to have you kick off the conversation as to why it is that you wanted to uh, to talk about this
3: Wow. Okay. Well, that's... Wait, you didn't think that I was going to ask you that question? I mean, I wasn't sure what I was doing with this microphone in front of me, but anyway. uh, So when uh, you guys have been doing this show for a while, and I've been looking for a reason to come out here and have a conversation with you, and when prompted by uh, Mr. Richard over here, uh, some of the things that I found to be kind of troubling uh, on the way that current discourse is going is, you know, starting with the fact that left or right sides are kind of talking past each other. it seems as though we're getting further and further from a uh, situation where we're even hearing what the other side is saying. Um, and <clears throat> given that this is a representative democracy, it seems that at some point uh, we would have to find a way to, I don't know, hear each other to know how what we have to compromise on. Uh, you know, you got to give a little to get a little. You know, and then a lot of things kind of tie in with that, you know, this notion of the outrage culture. Um, even coming on this show today, I found myself thinking, uh, well, n- knowing that I'm you know, a heartbeat away from a law degree, What should I not say to keep myself from, you know, not getting that law degree or, you know, raising the ire of, you know, whomever? Jake and
1: I never had that internal monologue, but (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's (laughs) the difference between you and me. It's
3: it's kind of been that way for a few years now, dude. But I really transgressed that a long
0: time ago on this show. No, I think think that's all really Um, well-founded. So is there, are there any specific instances that you can think of that maybe you can relate to the audience and to, and to us that this situ- the situation that you're describing was really highlighted to you
3: uh, with respect to the outrage culture or just our lack of willingness to listen to the other side. How about both? All right, let's start with not being willing to listen to the other side. So we are in a, a an educational environment, and I think you two probably know as well as you know many other folks that that attend the school that. Uh, It's not so tolerant toward dissenting viewpoints. Uh, If you are an individual who isn't the most liberal of individuals, maybe you are a uh, libertarian or, you know, a center, right, right? (laughs) or a center-right Republican. Someone, well, call it. It seems as though some of these. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to step on you when you were talking, or were you stepping on me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it seems. You (laughs) want to do this? You want to do this right now? In front
1: of these. Hundreds of people. Not what we're taping.
3: <laughs> uh, but all right, so conversations are had. And in the legal field, some of these conversations are contentious. You know, we're dealing with issues that aren't necessarily your run-of-the-mill. These are things that, as a lawyer, you almost have to prepare yourself for. And we both have had professors that have cut out entire sections of a textbook uh, having to deal with, you know, f- uh, physical assaults, uh, sexual assaults particularly. Uh, because of a fear that he would not be able to navigate uh, this minefield effectively enough to be able to teach the students the law as we are paying thousands and thousands of dollars to learn. So, I mean, that being one example, other examples being class discussions open up. And, you know, I think people who are right of center are in the minority here, Uh, not necessarily in this room with these hundreds of people, but just generally speaking. And, uh, you know, those voices those those important voices in the marketplace of ideas are silenced oftentimes because they do not want to be ridiculed for speaking against what the popular sentiment is. And as somebody who, you know, I've been, you know, pretty low key as far as letting people know where I stand on particular issues, but I observe a lot of things and you know, people that I know have alternate, alternate viewpoints aren't talking, and the problem then becomes if we are here in an educational institution where we are all trying to better ourselves and learn how to argue from both sides, like how are we furthering that that goal, that purpose, if half of the argument or half the audience is not participating in the conversation? So it's kind of one of the things I wanted to be able to come here and talk about, and like how do we encourage participation? And it's not necessarily saying, uh, you know, conservatives stand up and and, and identify yourselves. Your, yeah, identify yeah. yourselves, has your voice be heard. But like, it's, it's looking at why they don't want to do that, like, one. And two, talking to the other side, the majority in this case, and asking, like, what is it about the way that you're putting forward your ideas and your points of view, your perspectives, that kind of silence the other side and close the door to discussion? So, uh, yeah. You no, know, I, th-
0: I mean, I, th- I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but uh, I, I also, you know, I being somebody who, you know, is a libertarian and is so towards they do the, exist. What's that? They do exist. They do exist, yeah. Uh, we're unicorns. But, like, you know, who, who's slightly to the right of, uh, of the political spectrum. I've obviously spent a fair amount of my time airing these same types of grievances, but I think the best thing about having done this show, and I think this is a good time to reflect because it is the final show that Richard and I are going to do, is that <clears throat> the... The, the the people that i've been able to talk to in the course of this show realizes that my particular feelings are not unique and i you know i i've almost backed away from feeling persecuted because i have political opinions that fall outside of the, like, the overton window and realizing that you know uh, there are some people who whose identities their entire being are so connected with their ideas and and what they bring to the table that uh, i was just not aware of before i mean some of them are sitting in this room who have been on the show, and I I've really become way more open to uh, you know the experiences of people. You know, uh, the, the, the the term of art now is marginalized communities, and I think that you know ho- hopefully what we've tried to do with this uh, show besides be a platform for Richard and I to espouse our ideas is to to make people feel comfortable to come on and bring those points of view as well. So uh, a lot of this has to do with just giving people the time of day and really sitting down and not just listening to what they're saying, but listening to who they are, you know, because uh, we we can't put a price tag on that kind of uh, experiences, which is really like I would have never said something like this probably a year ago before we started the show.
3: I mean, but to that exact point, I mean, you've been able through this show to be able to kind of find a voice and expose yourself to alternative viewpoints and understand that people, like the relationship between how people feel about particular issues and you know, who they identify as themselves. You've been able to have this experience to, to kind of open your eyes there, right? And you've, you've kind of, you're changing tact as a result of it, mm-hmm. but like, what about those individuals who are similarly situated without this show? You know, in those instances, right. those people aren't being provided with the forum to even feel as though their voice can be heard. You've got a platform, both of you do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of individuals who feel the same type of way that you do do not. Right. And so I mean, while it's all well and good that you've been able to kind of you've been able to overcome that and growth has happened for you. Like right. how do we get at right. you know, how do we drill down?
0: No, I, I, I recognize that my experience is pretty is unique. Uh I I think part of this too, and I, I don't want to transition too quickly if we have more to say about this, but part of it too is this whole half of the equation that we're, we haven't touched on yet, which is how we respond to people that we feel like have maybe...
1: Transgressed.
0: Transgressed social norms. You're welcome. Um, because online now there's this whole cancel culture, and it feels like we haven't had a, a public conversation about how people can redeem themselves uh, when it when it feels like we've misstepped or that we've you know hurt somebody or, or said something that people don't agree with. It seems like we are trying actively to discard or to just forget about the fact that these opinions are out there. Do you have any thoughts on that?
3: <clears throat> I mean, I, I really couldn't agree with you more uh, in, a, in a lot of different respects. Uh, now, first off, I understand that we are in a place now in 2019 that you know, in 2010 even we couldn't necessarily project that we would be. As far as what cultural norms are, what societal norms are, what you can and cannot do, things have changed. We've got movements. We've got you know the hashtags. These things are making these things are making a difference, though. And it's not to discount you know any anybody who has been able to kind of use that to bring awareness to particular issues. But like I've said since, <coughs> or what I've thought, I haven't really said this because it's the first time I'm talking a lot about this uh, since. You know, I don't know how many people or how many listeners are familiar with the Joseph Coney m- movement on Facebook back in the day. Coney Twenty twelve, Coney twenty twelve. <laughs> so yeah. Joseph Coney was a guy who, you know, he's an. Ap- <laughs> See, but you knew it already, though. You know what I'm saying? But you're also an older cat. It, it <laughs> Thank was, you. I don't. I don't mean Jake that. Jake his aged. Way, you know, like, <laughs> age like a fine wine. Like, <laughs> um, 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 barefoot. Barefoot. <laughs> That's nice. But like, That's all right. Nice. So this Coney twenty twelve Cut the movement, audio. <laughs> it's kind of. It was the first time I really. Uh, I kind of noticed that you know something caught fire. Something inspired the masses, who now have the ability, and we'll get to this later with respect to internet and the social media. But now they have the ability to instantly have their thoughts heard, their opinions voiced. And you know we we live in a like and share generation, like and share culture, right? So Joseph Coney, uh, Joseph Cony uh, this dude was a warlord, still is, as far as I'm concerned. I know we got a bunch of special forces boots on the ground there, but I'm not sure if we've caught him yet. Uh, he's a warlord who who you know comprised an army full of child soldiers, and that caused all sorts of outrage across the political spectrum, mostly, largely along the left, because that's you know it's something to rattle, a, a, a rallying cry of sorts. Uh, And every post, Coney twenty twelve T-shirts. Before this was the days before Facebook incorporated hashtags, which, by the way, is a pound sign. Just want people to know that hashtag is a pound sign. Like I never knew it was a hashtag. Me either. Also, (laughs) Coney has not been caught. Right. So this is the type
0: of knowledge that we uh, that we're known for here on (laughs) Nova. All right. So Coney hasn't been. The sorts of insights Coney hasn't been
3: caught. And people were up in arms about you know what this guy was doing, and admittedly, what this dude was and is doing is you know, categorically wrong. You As a
0: capitalist, I understand that you can pay child soldiers less than you would pay normal soldiers, so I'm for
1: it. Ooh. As a libertarian, he also <laughs> thinks that children should be allowed to work, but that's not <laughs> the point. Um, yeah, I'm not Let me go I'm not ahead and come out against it. <laughs> I, I, am, uh, I do like that this is the last episode, and that's how we're starting, because that means Jake and I are not going to be holding back,
3: but debt continue with thank what you were saying. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, so anyway, Coney was a big outrage uh, in, the, in the age before, before hashtags or pound signs or whatever. It was all over everybody's Facebook page. T-shirts were made. The question is, though, I mean, fast forward, we're in 2019, and asked about what happened to Joseph Coney, you had to Google it, right? Mm. So this whole notion of, like, raising awareness, it's like pointing at a building that's on fire but refusing to call 911. Like this is the type of thing that this type of activism that I think is 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 dangerous because yeah. people feel as though they are they are doing something, but I mean right. you are doing something you are talking to your bubble, mm-hmm. and I mean I as long as I have a conversation with myself in the mirror I will never be wrong, <laughs> and that's the type of those are the type of circumstances and situations that right. we kind of find ourselves right. in with some serious issues that are that, that need to be addressed in today or today you know what I'm saying? Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and and, and it allows us the. Uh, the ability to tell ourselves that we're, you know, to pacify ourselves and, and actually, like, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back and say, like, oh, we address child soldiers, which, by the way, I'm not for. Um, so but He says <laughs> now. I've thought about it in the last minute, and I am against it. I wanted <laughs>
1: to say that I did not have to think about it. Um, <laughs> so uh, you mentioned, Adet, you mentioned that this podcast has been sort of a outlet, a platform for Jake and I to espouse views but you also mentioned the in class and how um people are still afraid to voice opinions i don't think we've moved the needle on that one iota um but in this conversation with the with the podcast i don't think this has emboldened anyone to do anything in classes so i do think that's still a problem and we had kaufman on dean kaufman on um in i think it was the fifth episode and the biggest complaint on the in the student survey was that those voices that you were mentioning were being silenced which i found astounding that that was the number one complaint from the student surveys received but wait what was it what was it that uh conservative voices are being silenced
0: i don't think that was the number one
1: i have him on record saying it it was episode 5 so uh, okay <laughs> i didn't listen to that one what you i don't know if he's a reliable source or not but he is the dean of the law school and the one who got the <laughs>
3: So, was there a question there? <laughs> no, the, 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 no. I wanted,
1: I wanted to comment on that. Uh, uh, that so, one. It the second part of this was, and how can we, how can we help? So the second part would be. Do you have any ideas on where to go from here, or how to make it more comfortable? I think there's, <clears throat> and it's not just conservative voices being silenced. I think it's anyone that goes against the person who's speaking right now. So. I mean, let's—we're not kidding ourselves. This is a left-leaning school, but it's not just like there are people, center-left people, that are not speaking up. So, right.
3: I, I mean, I think you—you you absolutely have a point, um, particularly, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, with the uh, the fragmentation within the political parties as they exist. You've got those that would be, you know, generally the, your run-of-the-mill Democrats, center-left, and then you've got this wing of the party that has run far to the left, uh, to, kind of like the, the Freedom House or the, or the Freedom Caucus did on the right. Oh, the Tea Party. The tea party yeah. Right, and I'm sure you know, as because uh, you guys gave me like a script or something, not a script, don't want to make it seem like we're scripting. Notes. It's like notes about kind of things we're going to be talking about, so I don't want to jump the gun, but I do want to say that you know, I don't think anybody is safe necessarily from this, so I don't know if there. I can't tell you the solution, dude. I mean, I'm just a guy trying to get a JD, but I can tell you that what is happening? I took the screen Richard off. did that on purpose. I'm, yeah. going to, I'm, going to,
1: I'm going to turn off the thing, too, but whatever. <laughs> right, so a few years back, Barack Obama, like who is who? Barack Obama? Huh. He used to be the president? <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: But he's, you know, he's political. You're showing, black a, home, you're showing us a black screen. He's a, yes, <laughs> Barack Obama. He, he, what are uh, your
1: political leanings, ma'am? I'm <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: So that dude took a whole lot of flack for uh, the sky was blacked out with arrows because he criticized college students offended by dissenting opinions. But that's kind of the way that progress has to happen, right? At this point in time, even if we share the same political leanings, I may not feel comfortable necessarily – voicing any sort of dissent. And it's not because I, myself, am like, you know, some sort of you know, weak-bodied individual who, who doesn't know what to do with his hands. It's just because is, it, is, is, the, is the grape worth the squeeze is my question, ultimately, right? Always.
1: Not the same, but okay. Juice worth the, worth the squeeze. Piece. I have Go. a new Go. ringtone.
3: Hey, whatever, man. <laughs> I mean, it's 2019. <laughs> we were getting looks
1: from... The is, hundreds of people.
3: Of people. Oh, yes. <laughs> let, me, let me put a question to you two. You two, have, you know, this is your last show, man. You guys yeah, got nothing yeah. to lose, right? Yeah. Uh, last year, yeah, uh, a bunch of students got together, uh huh, and they wrote a demand letter to the yeah, faculty. We, yeah, we
1: started this podcast in response.
3: Right, and I didn't listen to that episode because, you know, it's 2019. <laughs> <laughs> it's 2019 and you
1: don't listen to podcasts? No, man, no, I, I just, right, I just well, haven't heard that Listen, My question, question is,
3: though, like, how would you feel if you, you know, you I, you understand a good initiative, maybe I would you know, question the judgment. Like, you might agree with some of the pillars, some of the demands that they were making, but yeah. as far as all of them, the blanket demands that were being made, like, if you dissent to that, did you feel as though either of you could have been like, you know what, I think, like, I, I appreciate that you guys are getting together and like showing strength, but like, I don't necessarily agree with that. Did you feel safe uh, in doing that? Did you feel like that was going to be something that was going to be received well by those who you know, put that letter together? Sitting
1: well, out a letter school-wide, no, but talking to people individually, yes. Because uh, they're the people that I do not agree with philosophically, politically, in one iota, and I had conversations about that letter with. So yes and and they agreed with most of what you just said of how the there were certain things in there that were it, w- it seemed like it was going a little too far but that's not neither no, Jake I cut you off Yes. no no no
0: I finish your thought is that, is I that finished end? okay well so I mean I think we have to be specific in what we're talking about here in terms of the substance of the letter the letter was primarily focused on citing incidences of what they believed to be uh, you know, sexism and racism in the classroom, and and obviously there's there's nothing to dissent about that. If those if those incidences are true, those are horrible. Those are horrific, and we should do everything that we can to combat those types of sentiments. If as so, insofar as they prevail on our campus, in in terms of the demands, like I I would rather be productive, and that's why we created the show than than dissent to. What are clearly, you know, central issues to some people on our campus, and I care deeply about this community, and and I want to do everything I can to support those people, and that's part of why I felt like this was a good idea to create this show. Um, so, uh, but, but I mean, the, 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 I feel like there is a more broad question in there in terms of dissenting to what are like, you know, orthodox opinions and and our very popular opinions, and I think so long as you're not mean spirited and you approach it in good faith and and you really truly believe what you're saying, and uh, you have just general respect for people. I I, I personally do feel comfortable, but I, I also know people who are similarly minded to myself that don't feel comfortable. And uh, I, I'm hoping that maybe once we open this up to the audience, uh, we can get some a, a lot of ideas about about how we can fix these problems. Because I mean, even uh, you know Radhika, who we're going to bring on in a minute. I mean, we we. We sat down and we had, you know, a two-hour conversation on the basis of the fact that we met at an intersectionality circle, which is a word I didn't even know a year ago, and uh, I, I told her flat out that, you know, I have some, I'm on the political right, and she was in the circle, and she said, you know, like, I got really nervous and sweaty, and, and I felt uncomfortable when you said that, and then, but by the time, you know, the, the talking stone had gotten to her, she had opened up and she wanted to talk about it, so we did a whole podcast about it. So these conversations can happen, they can take place, you just need to be mature, and you need to know that, you know, our your fellow man is or woman, and whatever in between is is not trying to hurt you. Like, I've, I've never tried to hurt anyone. Can anybody. I,
3: oh no, go
1: ahead. Also, you need to do things that are uncomfortable, you need to have conversations that are, that you are uncomfortable having, you need to get out of your comfort zone, and especially in a law school environment, where you are challenging mentally absolutely everything you knew before you came in here. So, those thi- those those topics you, you do need to be able to approach. It's I think that there I think we need to talk less about how to make people comfortable sharing these things and more about how to give people courage when they're not comfortable sharing these things. If that okay. made any sense. Well, and I think
0: a lot of it has to come down to inculcating just a sense of Dignity for everyone who's sitting next to you, and uh, of course, yeah. I I really think that that might be the root cause of the conversation that we're having here. I feel like you know we're having this conversation about how can we better have have dialogue. But really, I think the if we go one echelon deeper, it's how can we respect one another, and uh, how can we just have gratitude for what we have and understand that other people have. More to give us, so I mean, those those are the values that I think we really need to be digging at.
3: So, like with that, and I mean, I know you guys are the hosts, but I feel like that's a fantastic segue to the very first point that we kind of wanted to flesh out today uh, a little bit, with respect to like the environment that has has created uh, the the circumstances where somebody who has a bit of a dissenting opinion doesn't feel safe in speaking it, or um, they feel like they may well be silenced, uh, and. I'll turn it over to the host at this point, though, because it's not my show.
0: Uh, are we talking about Trump? Yeah. I've got a all right, theory that right, well, starts way before Before we get Trump. into Trump, I think that it might be useful to bring Radhika on because she's going to have a different opinion, very different from all uh, of you guys. I've got a few there. things
1: that lead up to Trump, if you want
0: to. Let me just bring Rodica on.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Every, Radica Radica Sutherland. Sutherland. Uh, she,
0: our senior, our senior editor for next year, uh, Rodica Sutherland. She's fantastic. You'll enjoy everything she has to say. Jay, and then uh, we, we will throw to Q and A. Q&A.
3: Okay. For the record, I'm happy to be sharing a uh, time slot with this this young lady. Uh, from what I hear, she's accomplished fantastic things, and from what I hope, she will accomplish fantastic things in the years to come.
4: Well, thank you so much. That's so flattering. Yeah, so I I missed the first 25 minutes of this conversation. Well, you, actually okay, actually. Late, you actually didn't the first minutes. You actually
1: only missed about the first I five minutes to, of this conversation. We started late.
4: I'm not gonna lie. Today, I after an excruciating process, thank you very much, got accepted to be a Corboy fellow. which oh, is what? Very exciting. Oh. I accepted my offer. I heard. I heard something like that. What? You uh, accepted so your offer.
3: As if they so offer. <laughs> no, they do. It's an offer.
1: Huh. <laughs> <laughs> As if somebody's going to get an offer that and not accept it was the... Yeah, I accepted that offer. It was pro your team. But then my
4: trial brief was due, so I could not be excited about it on, until that was submitted. Turned that in at six, ran to Devon, pounded a couple of old fashions, went to legal writing That's for 20 minutes, and now about. I'm here. So girl. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm here. Cheers, guys. Cheers to that. Cheers, well, y'all.
3: Congratulations <laughs> to Cheers, the newest Corboy Fellow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So
1: how did we get here? I... Uh, I have a few steps for how it started. The first step is uh, the founding of CNN in 1980, because the 24-hour news channel—yeah, CNN is
4: the problem. Let's just be clear. Well, they were the—they
1: were the first news channel. I mean, they were the first 24-hour news channel. I blame Ted. I'm not saying CNN in its current form, even though I do have certain complaints. But I'm saying that (laughs) the founding—the founding founding of the 24-hour news cycle made uh it made the it one made news uh profitable for one or for profit i should say and two it made everything sensationalized because how do you make 24 hours of news well you have to do ridiculous stories on ridiculous things and yeah ha- and it and what catches more what, what catches headlines the most devastating and the most amazing stories that you can possibly hear. Everything in the middle is, is just going to, that's going to be low ratings where you're not going to get as many advertising dollars.
4: Is that a CNN problem or a capitalism that's
1: problem? That's why I said CNN, well, ooh, shots fire. Well, we do live, we do, well, one, we do live in a capitalist country. Two, it wasn't a problem before the 24 hour news channel was founded. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's CNN. And CNN's, what drove
4: the demand for 24 hour news? There
1: wasn't one. Ted Turner created one and now there is.
0: I knew this
4: would be more interesting. <laughs> but why did he create it? Because what he, is the root of capitalism is the root of all of our problems, y'all. Are
3: are we are we better going? Anti- is it capitalism per se or is it the perverted version of capitalism? Perverted, that we
4: live okay. In? <laughs> Conceded point. Yes, absolutely. The perverted I but want if you're came gonna out
1: leave, of a debt's mouth to come out of my mouth.
4: If you're gonna leave uh, anything up to humans, it's going to be perverted eventually. So yeah.
1: <laughs> We're
3: all perverts.
4: Uh, yes, essentially. That's what I'm getting at. We're all provers.
3: I like that you've joined the panel. Uh, just, just silence isn't consent. There, I'm just <laughs> making that clear. Uh, that was the the first
1: would be that was to me is that it's not. I'm not. I'm not blame. Uh, I guess even if I shouldn't lay on CNN's. I guess I would lay on Ted Turner's head if it was one person. But they were the original. 24-hour news channel. That's why I said that it has. It, they just, they were founded in 1980, and that was the, that's where when MSNBC, Fox News, I, I can keep going. Fusion, as many as you want. It, it, where, two, one, people are now choosing the news they want, not the news that they need, and it's being slanted from all angles. And two, in the way that it's slanted, it's slanted in the most sensationalized form, and it's causing a division. Another would be, I would say, 9-11, where we were, where it, it, it caused a rash panic amongst everyone in the country. We did not, we were sort of, I, I, I guess, it was kind of a, I don't wanna say pure, but we were a, we were an innocent kind of population where we didn't think that things like that could happen to us. And that made us scared, and which made us more hostile.
4: Wait, I have a question, though. Yeah. The Oklahoma City bombing had happened. Several, like, domestic terrorist issues had happened. The World Trade Center so, was bombed, like, twice. Right. 1994, 1990- So 94, was yeah. it the fact that this was, like, brown people doing it? Is that what caused no. the fear all of a sudden? No. Because
1: it was the two big—well, like, one, we didn't know was— the radical right
4: had been doing it for a while in well, this country.
1: Uh, okay. I don't know if we were going to—I I don't know if— I mean that's that's a point, and I hear you, but that's not what I was saying at all. And it was, it was more of the, first off the Oklahoma City bombing. I don't know how many people were killed, but it wasn't three thousand, and it wasn't two of the most iconic buildings in the right, country. Right, but
4: every single one of those lives lost is equal to I every I agree with you, but that was a
1: huge, it, yeah. huge hit. We there was three thousand people <laughs> killed on nine eleven. That was, it, it was, and it was also. Do you know how
4: many people have been killed by? radical right-wing gun violence in the last year it's way more than three thousand my friend
1: yes worldwide sure but and yes we can get into that but that's not i don't understand why it, oh, uh, on a certain point, it sounds like you're defending Sorry, the no, terrorists. Uh,
4: here's the thing. I came in with two old-fashioned gun blazing, so we can take a step back I mean, and I'm reassess not, what I, we're this talking is, about It's right not now. because it was brown yeah, people, yeah.
1: and one, we didn't know it was brown people at the time oh. when it happened. People were scared immediately. It was because it was two of the most iconic buildings in the country, which was which were the World Trade Center Twin Towers, coming down. The Oklahoma City bombing, say what you will about it, but it didn't bring the whole building down. So there is that. There wasn't that imagery. Hundreds of people
4: died in my. So so, hundreds of
3: people died, and I'm not downplaying that. But it's and I don't.
4: How did we? So we're getting we're
3: getting we're getting a little off the rails here. A little off the rails here. My Uh, my point was that uh, circle the wagons. Okay. So my my my
1: overall point was one. It was I you you, you, you don't really feel that way. And and one it was it was a point of there was also a foreign agent at that all right. So. But it was, it was that something like that could happen to us. One that made us more hostile, which may, or made us scared, which made us more hostile. Uh, there's look whether or not you agree with me. There's something to that. I remember being scared of airplanes flying overhead when I was a kid because of that. Like that's just that's just a reality that we.
4: Okay. Lived well, in. I was brown and grew up in Owensboro, Kentucky. Yeah, I'm and sure was it sucked. In sucks. seventh grade, when September 11th happened. And I was literally the only brown person in my entire school of 2,000 people. And there were a lot of whispered conversations happening around me a lot of the time. Yeah. I woke up one morning with the word terrorist spray-painted in our yard in orange yard paint. So there was a lot of different kinds of fears. I'm not
1: trying to min- that. minimize that. I th- when I, this, I had... Uh, <laughs> I this is not do not take this the wrong way. I had uh, it, when I was in high school, I had two Muslim friends, and I remember how they were treated. I too have a black friend. I remember
3: how they were. This
1: is my black friend, and I remember how they were treated, and it was horrible. It's it was absolutely horrible how how they were treated after it. I, I had there were people who were suspended for yeah spray painting Bin Laden and, and writing stuff like that on their lockers. That's terrible.
4: I just want to put it on the record. I by no means think that Richard is like. a a mean bad person. I, I like think the guy. A a mean, guy. bad person. No. He thinks uh, I'm a mean <laughs> bad person. It's fair though. It's fair. No, uh, but uh, I, do, I do do have a mean drunk.
1: I do think that, that was a pivot point. There's. Hold on. We're still oh, on There's on a, how we got here, and we haven't even talked about let's Trump. By the way, about
0: Casper mattresses. All right, Casper
1: mattresses. <laughs> right. So, Casper mattress, <laughs> not an advertiser. Just a good product. Um, that was one. An, um, there's many, many things that have led to this. The that was where the division started coming because that was where we got more hostile as far as the the political parties are concerned. See, you
3: got to push back on that a little bit. What uh, after nine eleven happened? That was a uniting event for the country. It wasn't a left or a right issue. It was America versus the world issue. So it wasn't a matter of now. It was subsequent events how that event was weaponized to That's convince a you know a public that refuses to think and read on their own, and that does not mean for everybody, but it's oftentimes easy for people to look at the lead of a story and then like it and share it, and they don't know what the contents of that story are. So when you have a public that is willing to be spoon-fed, like. Or they or they yearn to be spoon fed, and you give them an enemy when they're already scared, and you give them you know you point to them who a bad guy is. People are going to, as a unit, as in as United States of America, dude. I was 17 years old when those when those buildings came down, like old enough to not be a kid and be like you know super like scared of airplanes, mm-hmm. which okay.
1: Uh. I was 11. <laughs> I was 11 when it
3: happened. Go ahead. But but like I mean, well, it's still a kid, dude. Uh, but like old enough to understand, like the, kid, there were yeah. the subsequent steps, the march to war that that was it was. We were in Afghanistan within weeks after that issue, and within weeks after that, we toppled the the Taliban in Afghanistan. We owned that country, but it what that wasn't enough. We were able to use that, our political powers were able to use that and weaponize that messaging, yeah, the which. Yes, the fear, but the fear with, like, the people who are the active participants in this political uh, system that we live in. I mean, there's a reason why there are certain elements of our our electorate that show up time and time again and some other elements that think that, you know, elections only happen every four years. When you weaponize and you identify who's going to show up at the polls and you are put in a position where you can dictate policy, dictate threats – then we find ourselves in endless war like we are now. It wasn't a left or right thing. The right was just brilliant at messaging. They were in power at the time, too. Yeah. Right. I
1: would
0: like to bring this back to creating community.
2: Um. <laughs> well, I mean, nothing no, will th- create, we'll create community power and throw like like a some stuff. Attack. Hold <laughs> on, we're power and throw
1: some stuff. So let me say that that's kind of what I was trying to say, just Wrong. in longer form. Uh, no, that. that yeah, I agree with you. September 12th we were incredibly unified. that was the, it was the most unified we'll maybe we'll ever see the country that would, and, and it was then the, and that attack was then weaponized and used to and used and I'll could say that by the right to absolutely push us into two wars that I'm not sure are ever going to end. one we got out of and then had to go back in. but I will say
4: okay. I agree. One <laughs> perspective is that we were incredibly unified on September 12th. Another perspective is that those of us with brown skin or a Muslim name were terrified on September
3: 12th. I mean, welcome to be a black man in America. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a terrorist attack for that to happen.
4: We
1: also didn't know it was Muslims people. at the time. Absolutely.
4: So I think that <laughs> there's nothing as unifying as a terror terrorist attack and George Bush who was a president W sorry let me specify George W Bush because there's been more of them than just 43 just one one more (laughs) Uh, a president that I did not think represented me at all the day afterwards he got up there and said some really nice things about how we're all one nation and we should support each other but I'm just going to tell you my personal life experience I was born in Kentucky I am an American but I have brown skin and black hair and big eyes. And I don't look as American as most people Maybe uh, I did not feel that I was like united by the attack with my brethren. I felt really isolated and terrified uh, for a long time after that, <laughs> let's be honest. And my dad who opened an Indian restaurant on September 10th, that was the grand opening of his restaurant, uh, 2001, things did not work out so well for my family financially and for his business after that. So while like I love the sentiment of nothing unifying our country more than an attack from an outside source, the fact is for those of us who technically look like outsiders, we did not feel like we were a part of that unification. And I, yeah, that's it.
0: I can verify the Indian restaurant story.
1: She told that on the podcast. <laughs> that's not verifying. You know. That's just facts
0: that she told. It to uh, that's me.
4: true. That's just me telling <laughs> story twice. Let's hope it's true. Can we,
1: Rodica, Can we just turn on Jake as a unifying front right now? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead of
4: Jake. Your clothes don't match right now.
1: Boom. <laughs> yeah, but
0: I've been and told your I square is like no I longer showing. <laughs> Any questions? Any comments from the audience?
1: Uh, the the another step that I was going to say also was the, okay, founding <laughs> the founding of social media. The founding of social media has played a uh, it has done more damage than either of those two. That one we are only we're only not only we're we only talking to people that we know and people we agree with. Uh, we are able to completely consume ourselves in things like Twitter and Facebook, where. We don't have to ever have our views challenged. Um, that led
3: up to many, many things. It, it God. So I'm gonna, I'm to push back there respectfully. Uh, while I agree, like in on the whole, social media. Has you know, been more trouble than what it's necessarily worth. If you look at things like the advancement of you know, of gay rights, for example, let's take a group that was marginalized and the time that it took for homosexuals to be able to get married in this country, as compared to another you know marginalized group, let's take the civil rights movement. Like the amount of years that it took in order for the you know the Civil Rights Act of '63, the Voting Rights Act of '64, is it '64 or '65? Either way, like that took a considerable amount of time, and we didn't we didn't have the connectivity We didn't have the instant and immediate notifications that social media provides us. And I think that at some level, and I have no statistics to back this up, but I think that social media played a large part in putting pressure to our leadership and ensuring that like when these... Decisions got up to the highest court, and the political sentiment, the the sentiment of the community as a as a whole, was on the side of allowing people who love each other regardless of sex to get married. Like I feel like that might have helped nudge it across the finish line, in a, in in a way that we wouldn't necessarily have seen, uh, and we haven't seen in other other instances where marginalized groups were trying to get the same type of rights that are guaranteed under this constitution that we all hold dear. I agree with what you're saying. I just
1: I don't know. Alice.
5: Hey. Hi. Is this on? There we go. To what extent, speaking of bridging the gap between, I mean, left and right ideologies, basically, to what extent is that possible when a significant portion of one side of the argument politicizes the delegitimization and oppression of various identities that take part on the other side?
1: I don't think... I'm you not going to answer. I don't think I should answer that question first.
4: Yeah, I think actually I want Richard to answer it because I have the same question. I feel like my whole, the you know, uh, it's not really a mystery what side of the aisle I fall into. Um, I didn't get that from the capitalist part, but. Yeah. yeah. Is it the left? Uh, good guess. All right. yeah. By um, the way, this
5: question was uh, sponsored by George Soros. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> Absolutely.
3: See, Absolutely. you've just opened us up to.
4: <laughs> the, um, yeah, they. What's your name? Louise Mensch. Louise Mensch. I got this. Joe, thank, you, George thank you for Soros. saying
1: that uh, specifically. Um, it is the. Uh, if we're going to have say? this talk, fine. Um, two things. One, the. To say that they're you're talking about the Republicans, right? Is that fair? I'm I am mean, talking
5: could, about a portion of the Republican Party. A portion yes. of
1: the Republican Party. First off, the idiots are always always get the largest platform because it grabs headlines, which is why that was my complaint about the twenty four hour news cycle.
5: Why do the idiots control the Senate?
1: They <laughs> They don't. <laughs> they the idiots don't. The you kind of the the nut well well you don't get you don't become some Senate majority leader unless you're the wildest nutcase in your party. That's just look at Harry Reid. No, Harry Reid went on the on the Senate floor no. and said But I mean, it's
4: always no. whataboutism. You it's not what about is question My, without talking about what it, happened in the
1: past. I'm not saying what about I'm sorry. Her question was what is what did why are the nutcases in charge my that, point was that, that you that you was can't can't not the question in, that was, that was exactly what question. she said
5: allow me to clarify go ahead why do the elected officials of the Republican Party service the political ideologies of those individuals who seek to oppress identities is that better
1: uh, i don't necessarily think they do i think that the people who want to service those uh, who, did, who who did you who read want the Mueller report is, yeah i think that the people well Donald Trump is a whole different story, but and I'm not going to justify that. Okay, that he so is then
4: justify anything that Mitch McConnell has done. Justify anything Paul Ryan I did. I was trying justify to Justify anything there. Jim Jordan How or Mark this? Meadows. How about this? It's simple, man. Okay.
3: People join okay. politics not because they want to serve, but hold because on. they like the idea hold, of being a politician. Hold on.
1: Jim Jordan and Mark Meadows both came in on the Tea Party wave. They, are, they have completely hijacked an agenda, and the way you know that is that they torpedoed things when okay, the Republicans had. Okay, so Susan had. Collins. I'm not done talking. When they, when they had in power of both parties. The question was specifically about the Senate, which my point was that Harry Reid was the leader of that party when they had control of the Senate, because apparently you need to be a nutcase in order to be the Senate majority leader, and so they found that in Mitch McConnell. That's a very easy way to explain that.
3: You have a really cool rocking chair right now i'm not i feel like i need to get off your lawn
1: okay (laughs) the you you asked why okay trump is one of the most despicable political figures i have ever seen and i don't and, and and first off don't i don't connect that to his political leanings because he doesn't have them he says whatever is most convenient right in front of him. And he has done that since he declared he was running for president. He actually did that before he declared he was running for president. But this guy is loyal to no one. Then why is the Republican Party loyal to him? Because he's popular. Because they. Because for some reason people like it. And they think that if they go throw him under the bus that there's no chance they're going to get elected. Mitt Romney was one of the, the loudest voices Against Trump during the campaign, he ran in Utah, which he is from, but which is one of the reddest states in the country, and won. It's possible to do that, but some of these people in very vulnerable seats are selling themselves out in order to stand by this jackass that we've got in the White House right now.
3: Which is like exactly what I said. And by
1: the way, back to what we, what you, a point you made, a point you made earlier. I don't know a single person who's voted for Trump at Loyola. And there's got to be one, right? There are
3: plenty of them. I don't know any of them. Yeah, I, the, the conservatives have no, voted right Gary
1: out. Johnson. So.
3: Which might as well be a vote for Trump. That's
1: Mike. not true, but okay.
3: Yeah. We have a question from the audience. Hold on. Was that question answered to your oh. satisfaction? Okay. Yeah, so I, Can we, hold on. Can we like back up for a little bit? Because there are, you know, three people up here and we heard uh, an answer of sorts to your question from one. I would like to know, do you have any thoughts on?
4: Here's the thing. I have been asking myself the same question my entire life. I've been probably way more political than most people since birth, um, which is interesting because my parents are immigrants, and their whole purpose in life was to like assimilate and fly under the radar, don't call attention to yourself, be successful, make money, but don't rock the boat, per se. Um, and a really good story is that after we had our first podcast together, when um, Jake and Nico interviewed me, uh, my parents listened to the episode, and I was super excited for their feedback. My mom, of course, who's all sunshine and rainbows, was, like, super proud of me. And my dad was like, I, it was good, but I don't want you to get attacked. Like, that was his fear. And I didn't think I said many controversial things. I was just speaking about my experience. My, my dad's initial reaction to hearing my interview was that he was in fear for my safety. And I think that illustrates what you're talking about. Like for me, it's silly that one side is fighting for like, I don't know, healthcare, less guns, normal sh- uh, stuff. So we can publish this episode. Shit, she was gonna say shit. Yeah, go ahead. I absolutely was about to say yeah. shit. It's Normal my last shit. Episode. That like, it seems logical, right? And the other side is working to actively oppress my voice.
1: I don't and think that. I don't think that's necessarily true. Oh, wait, but uh, hey, go hey, ahead. Let's let her finish. Sorry. Let's go, let go ahead. Let her finish
3: that
4: her was thought. A, no. That was an excellent example of what I'm talking about. Go ahead. Right? But. But I don't. I do not think he did that out of the badness of his heart. I'm going to be really there honest. There is no about badness that. with like,
3: Richard.
4: There, I don't, I really don't think that it's. Well, some, for some people, Mitch McConnell, well, he's an evil fucking bastard. Let's just be honest about that. I'm from Kentucky. I can talk about it. He is—he was the senator from my state before I was even born. Like, how disgusting is that? That yeah. every vote I ever cast in my state never counted for a thing. Uh, the electoral process is a conversation for a different podcast.
3: Actually, this one.
4: Okay, yeah, the Electoral college. Is bullshit it's a product of slavery and I really think it needs to go but I just think that I, I'm not talking about opinion I'm talking about my life experience literally uh, just my life experience
1: what am I how am I supposed to feel about the rise of anti-semitism on the left as a Jewish what the person fuck are you talking what about? the fuck am I talking about are you kidding me are you kidding me they not only have they pandered to virulent anti-semites they have openly defended them what do you mean? What am I? What am I talking about? The fact that you don't know tells me. Hold you don't. on, though. You, you, you like, hold know.
3: on, though. Let's like take this and take a step back. And like, as a person of color okay. who happens to be left leaning, as a like, Jewish person what, what, who happens I to mean, be I was just right, saying right though. Go ahead. Ahead. so no. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, check it out, dude. I mean, what do you do when the leader of the free world gets up there and tells you the the march in Charlottesville? You got things happening. You are good people on you both sides. Stop
1: being Republicans like I did. All right, Go yeah, ahead. no,
3: for sure. But what I'm saying though is that that party is endorsing viewpoints that. You feel the same way about with respect to the anti sentiment, yeah, uh, semitism, uh, that <laughs> anti semitic semitism. I just combined words, didn't it? Any Hoosers, uh, like the way that you feel about that, man, is the way the people who are marginalized by the rhetoric on the right feel, you know what I'm saying, regularly, man. So, like, what I kind of want to say is, like, welcome to the water, like, jump in. It, oh, yeah, because it just warm. started. The, no, 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 it's, no, been, no, happening, no, it's no, been happening this on the left. Like, this isn't it's like, who, on the who's, who's been more oppressed? Like, let's get out of that, like, put it on the table I want and the and one that started bigger. that.
1: This, the, I want the one that started that, but if you want to talk about it, that's fine. But, if, sure, let's say that there that, uh, there is all, the Jews vote 76% Democrat. So there's always been a political party that we can lean on. That's fine.
3: And there's, a, yes. I don't think your mic's on. There's a switch. There's a little button.
6: I think this is actually the perfect time to ask the question. Because when we started the podcast, the main question was about bringing people together. Mm-hmm.
1: It, yeah. yeah.
2: You just Do
6: have just to talk to, like, into it. Yeah, hey, use your
1: cross-examining it. voice. Radhika back- and I are, are going to be friends face- after this. Ronica and I are going to be friends. We were after friends this.
4: before, and we were friends during. My, point, we were so friends? It's right. really my point is being going in on the center things. of this. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So,
6: can I ask my question? Yeah. Please. Please, thank you. Uh, I guess this is kind of bringing it back to the very beginning of what started the podcast, and you know, this conversation about how do we get people to talk that would otherwise not have their voice heard, or you know, be shut down, have their voices silenced. And I think the way the podcast has, I guess, kind of come about, there have been there has been some talk, for example, you know, I don't know a single person who in the school has voted for Trump, but doesn't that bring us full circle to someone who may have voted for Trump may not ever feel comfortable discussing that because of the community that we have. So I think it kinda of brings us full circle to what the topic initially was.
3: Right? Yeah. Uh if yeah, if y'all don't mind, I I thank you for your question, first of all. And I mean, I'm going to try to take a half haphazard uh, stab at this uh, initially. Um, I'll try to keep it on the rails. I don't think that it's just a right issue with respect to not hearing the other side. I think the left has some blame to shoulder as well. Um, and I say this because we have the you know the aforementioned letter that comes out, and I have friends, I have friends who are white who confide in me and say I don't know what to say because I'm scared of being called a racist. Like, what do you, what do I say to someone like that when I, I have your voice be heard if you dissent? I know you're not a racist. I mean, you at least have a half of a black friend and me. You know what I'm saying? Like, but the thing is, they do not want to have that voice being heard because they're going to be shut down. And that's a problem left to right. Now, and you, you take back from a macro perspective, 20,000 foot uh, view at this, you know, Republicans own messaging and they will silence people and shut people down. But there's a growing. Groundswell in the left, and we'll talk about that when we get into you know the the, the two party system. That I do think is uh, in their own way, maybe not as offensively, but in their own way, they're still working to silence speech that is in opposition to what it is they're saying. And this is coming from somebody who is left leaning. I don't think that the right has a monopoly on you know being assholes. To be honest with you, the left can do it too, and they are doing it pretty pretty effectively. And I think until we get to a point where, you know, even in an environment where everybody is left-leaning, say, for a, you know, a, a voice or two, say, until the, until such time as the left is willing to hear that other point of view without shouting them down, I don't think we're going to find ourselves finding any common ground. Uh, because it's easy to say that the other side is wrong when you don't let the other side speak. Well, that seemed to just bring crickets to it all. Did anybody else have an ab- we have another question from the audience.
7: Well, I think it's interesting that you bring that up in terms of like, um, how are we going to have these conversations? Like, the fact that Jake and I disagree about a lot of things is like pretty well documented, yet we're still really good friends. And I think something we try to do is like check in with each other and make sure that we're like actually having the same conversation. And I think that's such a problem. So, like, that would be my suggestion. Like, instead of getting mad at somebody, say, like, hmm, like, it's interesting that you say that. Like, why is it? And, like, making sure that you're, like, not talking past each other. I think what we just saw on the panel was a lot of talking
3: talking past past me. I'm in the middle.
7: Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You just saw that. That's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) So, I guess that would be um, my question to all of you is, like, what do you feel like you do? to make sure you're not talking past people when you engage in these conversations and like what suggestions do you have to other people to work on that also?
4: Yeah, I try to be better about that, but for some reason Richard brings up
7: very,
2: very
4: mm, best in me, can I, give I a Can I give a quick example? <laughs> uh,
0: this was uh, a huge like realization that Kate and I came to during the course of our podcast together, which was that I tend to view like this idea about uh, civic participation and and freedoms and rights from a very individualistic standpoint and Kate meanwhile analyzes problems and policies from the standpoint of the groups that are going to be uh, you know affected by it so like where I think that we were talking past one another during our podcast was the fact that we hadn't defined our terms and hadn't gotten to that understanding that she views things from the group's perspective whereas I view from the individual perspective, Um, which is, you know, once we figured that out, we had a much more fruitful conversation. So that might just kick off a little bit of what you guys have to say.
4: Yeah, and the whole reason I'm here today is because, like Jake explained, we were at a community circle. Um, That's something that I love to participate in. I was a therapist before I came to law school. Um, And I did a lot of therapy groups with all different kinds of people. I worked in a men's prison for a long time, psychiatric hospital where my primary um, demographic was homeless, addicted people and people who had been in and out of the prison system. So obviously I come to law school with a very strong point of view. Also I was born that way. Um, so I've always had a strong point of view being a strong uh, being a woman of color raised by a man raised by um, an Indian man which is a very like patriarchal society but his first child happened to be a girl and because we were in America all of a sudden it didn't matter he raised me to be the oldest child of an Indian family so I was given a voice at a very early age I engaged in like anti-Pledge of Allegiance protests in fourth and fifth grade which like put a black mark on me very early in my life.
3: Can I ask a real quick question? Mm -hmm. In fourth or fifth grade like what type of stance do you have against the Pledge of Allegiance? A very
4: strong one my friend. I just where does that come from? So we were taught about separation of church and state in fifth grade and then right afterwards like maybe like two days later I was Standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance, like we do in Kentucky. I've heard that not all states require that of their children. Yeah, but I think, like, I I don't know. I grew up in Kentucky, so that's what we did. Um, And we had had just had this, like, very intense conversation about separation of church and state. And the next day, they were making me stand up and put my hand on my heart and talk about, like, one flag under God or One however nation it goes. under God. Yeah, my bad, bro. That's all right. It's <laughs> indivisible. All those words.
1: It's divisible, but go ahead.
4: <laughs> so I, in my fifth grade mind, uh, was very um, offended by the fact that the word God was being forced upon me the day after we talked about separation of church and state, so I refused to stand up for it. And this guy—can I say his name? He'll never listen to this, right? Taylor. I wouldn't. Idea. I don't
2: think that's a good
3: idea. Uh,
4: make um, up a name for him. I'm gonna. Character I'm gonna say fitness. it. I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it right now. His name was Taylor Sturgeon. I fucking
1: said it. So Steve <laughs> Taylor Johnson. Taylor Sturgeon. <laughs> Steve Johnson said what to you? <laughs>
4: Taylor Sturgeon, a.k.a. Kyler Bass. Um, Like, told me, or no, he didn't tell me. He told the teacher, teacher, she's not standing for the pledge. And so then the teacher came over and was like, yo, Radhika, why aren't you standing for the pledge? And I was like, well, yesterday you told us we didn't have to talk about God in school, and today you're telling me I have to talk about God in school. So I was like super offended by it, it turned into this whole parent-teacher conference, I busted out the agenda. Do you guys remember like the spiral agendas with the holographic cover? Well the agenda had all the rules in it and nowhere in the agenda did it say that I had to stand for the pledge. So I held by that hard and fast. I know, I know. My dad has been saying that in kindergarten, and because I was Indian, I thought I had to go to medical school for so long, but I made it, we're full circle, I'm where I'm supposed to be now. We
1: had two choices. After I
4: took the MCAT twice and applied to medical school more times than I care to admit, we are here, where we belong, and she is happy, honey. Um, but. Yeah, this turned into a whole like parent teacher conference, it turned into the agenda, not having the rules for the pledge. And I, now that I'm in law school, I learned that there's a whole case about kids not having to say the pledge. I only wish I knew the case law back then because it would have been a much quicker that
8: would to be a do. Nightmare
3: of a fifth grader. <laughs> that yeah. was when you were,
1: I was That was when you were preparing for med school though.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the question?
3: Yeah, no, no, no. The question was awesome. So, Richard, I'm going to pass it to you. I don't know what we're
0: talking about right now. Uh, Kate had asked, you know, uh, what. Well, how to not talk past each other. Yeah, how to not talk past one The whole point
4: is Jake came to this community circle. That was a huge, huge, huge moment. I, as a therapist, am all about community circles. I've engaged in them, facilitated them, and participated in them for many years now. I did not think that law school was the format for that. Everyone who like knew I was going to law school after being a clinical therapist for so many years, was like, you know, you're not gonna get to be a therapist anymore. You're gonna have to start thinking about things like a lawyer. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that means. I'm a therapist and a lawyer, so we'll make it work somehow. Uh,
1: so the, the question was, how do we not talk past about past each other? Um, <laughs> that, are you he,
3: still, I'm sorry, do you still have, did I cut yes, you off? Yes, that was an unnatural pause in the conversation that you to interjected yourself. I'm sorry, that was That's, my fault. Yeah. I thought you that, that was a comma, Richard that was a comma
4: <laughs> Anyway um, uh, uh, so when no, I came to Loyola, I realized that Loyola had a very like community community based environment which was different than most law schools. and one of the big things that Loyola likes um, providing for the community are these circles. so i I went to the internet intersectionality circle and Jake came which was wonderful because he talked about how he was a conservative and that's not the kind of person you get in these circles normally and i'm not going to lie when he said he was a conservative my initial reaction was like shock and horror obviously but beyond that it was it was just like literally like my heart started pounding my face got really hot i had a very physical reaction to that and as he explained earlier Ten people later, it came to me, and I was like, you know what? I've had ten people to think about the fact that just the simple fact of you saying that you were a conservative was enough to elicit a visceral reaction from me. So, yes, conservatives, in my opinion, are part of the problem, but the fact that I had that reaction maybe means that I'm a part of the problem, so when he decided to, like, extend an invitation, Kate was there also. I think that was a blessing. Um, when they extended the invitation to me to be on the podcast, I was all for it because I was like, you know, I need to address my bullshit, too. There, that was some bullshit. The fact that he said the C word. And for me, like, conservative elicits a much bigger reaction oh. than the word cunt. <laughs> like, seriously, I'll say it. I, was I like, said it.
1: I was <laughs> say it. You, you said that in the community <laughs> circle? and that is not the C word that I was thinking of. No, I know,
4: but for me, conservative is worse than the other one. Really? Yeah, that one too is real bad. Um, And so how I realized that I need to stop talking past people and talking with people is the fact that I had a literal physical reaction to someone in a small space telling me they were conservative. That's a problem. I, I can't operate you know, my life way. The
3: first step on the road to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. So yeah.
4: Thank you. Ooh, if other I can just interject. I
3: saw that on TV I like once. It.
4: If
0: if I can just interject for a moment is is um I think part of what welcomed Rodica onto our show as well is the fact that I said that I was not a Trump supporter. But um <laughs> I, I, I Yeah,
3: that changes the conversation.
0: But I I think that part of what made our podcast together work really well was that we both Are pretty you know genuine in what we believe and also we want to be effective and we actually don't want to just attack the other person so i you know i think that that really like if you come into a conversation with that framework uh i would say over 99 percent of the time you're going to come out with a positive outcome but you do need to make sure that you're talking about the same thing and that you have the same objective in the conversation um so i'll I'll hand it off to you, Adet. Do you have any thoughts about that?
3: About not talking past each other?
0: Yeah, on Kate's question.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think that you have to enter conversations like that being willing to admit that you might be wrong. You have to be able to listen to the other side and be willing to have your mind changed. If you've got your mind made up, made up, it doesn't matter what type of you know, educational background you have. It doesn't matter how well you can analyze arguments from the other side if you're paid to do so. If you decide that you are right, then there's no conversation that can be had. It's not listening. You're waiting for the other person to break in their conversation so that you can interject with whatever it is that you feel is going to contribute to you furthering your end. And so long as that is the case, which it is the case, though, uh, then the progress isn't going to be made. Um, When you look at maybe jumping ahead a little bit, uh, you know, we've got this two party system, right? Democrats, Republicans. But within that, within those two parties, there are, like, there are fragmentations of groups. Like, you know, libertarians have to identify as Republicans if they want to vote because, yeah, I mean, you could vote for a libertarian, but I mean, you're not going to get anything more than 5% of the vote. I think Ron Paul was the last person to ever get 5% of the vote. Uh, you're not going to win an electoral Kerry vote. Gary Johnson got 7 No, he got 3.6%. Huh. Yes, I did the research in preparation for this show, 0.6%. Right, Some, sometimes I'm wrong. Yes, exactly. You can't just arbitrarily spout facts. Who are you, Andrea Casio cortez Yeah, it's, shots it's, fired. It's, it's, yes. Alexand- <laughs> it's Alexandria. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just, I'm just kidding there. I mean, kind of because it's joking, but she did just kind of misstate numbers because sometimes having the moral high ground is all you need, but that's not exactly <laughs> the case. If you're going to have a point, if you're going to further an idea, know what you're talking about, and don't be wrong... Uh, and you and you got to be able to, you got to be willing to listen to the other side. And I mean, you might be able to, you might have a strong basis and you know rooted in fact. But if you're gonna have a conversation with somebody who is adversarial to you, then you absolutely need to be willing to have your mind changed. And if you're not willing to have your mind changed, then why are you having the conversation? I don't know. That doesn't answer your question as to how we can get past talking uh, each other. It tells you like oftentimes how things actually are. But if I'm if, if I'm willing to hear you out, actually hear you out, and I think about what it is that you're saying then I think maybe that there's room for progress to be made. And sometimes you can maybe find a meeting of the minds at some point in the middle.
1: So the question was, how do we stop talking past each other? Uh, I mentioned anti-Semitism on the left. You said, asked me, what the fuck am I talking about? What are you doing after this? Holy, You got any time? What
3: just happened? The chat. Oh, yeah, you guys want to have totally a side have sidebar? A discussion. That's yeah. how. I think you need to do that outside the presence of the jury.
1: I just did it outside of the presence of the jury.
4: Yeah, I'll
3: text my husband to make sure it's okay. That's how. Yeah, we'll do that. Do you mind if I hang out with
1: a real tall Alabama Jew man? we We can also do it anytime after tonight. But, yeah, if we have this conversation outside of here. Like if you I, I don't want to go down Alice, this path,
4: but if it, if it's about Ilhan I don't, Omar, I don't want to do it is here. That what you're
1: talking about? It, there's a no, lot. I feel like you guys are get into into Okay, about. we don't and, have to And talk I about didn't want to get into this,
3: but the answer was Alice. Later going. Alice, you've got the mic. You've got the speaking stick. It looks like you have yeah. a question.
5: Thank you. Uh, it's less a question and more of just an addendum. Adette, I agree completely with your point that for most cases, it's very important to enter a conversation with the willingness to have your mind changed. I think there's a very important caveat there to make, though, that we cannot uh, – or th- rather, we must temper that reality with the understanding that people who are arguing on behalf of their identity need not do that. The reality is that – and I see this a lot. I, I consume a lot of YouTube discourse, which means I'm probably th- the worst human being, but I'll say this anyway.
3: I disagree um, with that. I think you're <laughs> wholeheartedly
4: amazing. Disagree. I barely know you, but I wholeheartedly
5: disagree. A lot of uh, – so-called debates, and this, this comes up a lot in the trans community where they'll have a trans pundit debate a, a social conservative of some variety, and the argument will boil down to are trans people valid? And the problem with a debate like that, and this applies to any identity, is as soon as you are debating whether or not an identity is valid, the debate itself has no meaning. Um, So while most policy issues, it is very important to enter into the conversation with the willingness to change your mind, it's also important to remember that we have to respect individuals who are entering a conversation not to evolve their own viewpoint, but to defend their own existence. Uh, there's, those are two different kinds of arguments, and it's yeah. important to be able to, s- to distinguish between the two.
3: All right, Alice, I could not agree with you more on that point. But I will say, but, exactly. but to that point, to that point, and this is where what I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going better. I look. Go ahead. I'm going to say, uh, <clears throat> this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself. While I'm, while I advocate for people walking into a discussion being willing to have their mind changed, there are certain kind of immutable uh, points that I don't think should ever be up for discussion. Things that I think have been settled uh, by the system that we all kind of ascribe to, this legal system that we're all trained to, to, to be a part of, right? You know, if somebody were to tell me, yeah, I'm not going to be able to enter into a conversation with somebody who is burning a cross on my front yard willing to have my mind changed. That's not going to happen. And I'm cognizant of that, right? Um, So I guess you're, you're absolutely right with that caveat. There are certain elements of human existence, basic human rights, that have to go Acknowledged and appreciated without being questioned. You do not question somebody's existence because you differ with perspective, like who they are. The question should more more appropriately be, I think, more appropriately framed is why is it that you are questioning my identity, my existence as to who I am? Like, what is it about you in that cir- in that set of circumstances? I do not, but I agree with you one hundred percent, and I thank you for putting that caveat on what it was that I was saying.
4: Well, and also, I thought the whole and. I guess Richard, you're the residence expert. uh, Explain to me. No, he is the self-proclaimed conservative. So I'm. I'm
8: I'm
1: center-right, but okay.
4: Okay, self-proclaimed center-right, whatever that means. Uh, Social
1: liberal, fiscal conservative.
3: You know, those those things are not congruent.
4: Okay, Uh um, we're gonna move past that. Um, Tell me though, I thought. Again, correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will. Um, (laughs) I thought the whole point of conservatism was, like, separating government, allowing people to live their lives, right? We don't want government. We want personal freedom. And the same token, that is the very party that is fighting to oppress women's reproductive rights, oppress people's identities, and I just don't see how those two things jive. How can you be the party that like super fights for less government interference and letting people live their lives, but at the same time putting all these restrictions on which restrooms people can use, w- who they can marry, like I don't understand how those two things come together.
3: I understand because because God.
4: God, right? Um, if you but what if, what if, uh, God forbid, someone is of a different religion?
3: <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah. than Christianity. Uh, so, Jake, uh, how do you feel about that?
0: Well, so I, I, think I actually said this during our podcast, to Alice, that I'm disappointed in the libertarian movement for not being more welcoming of. Uh, transgender individuals, individuals of all different stripes, and bring them under our umbrella because I do believe that, you know, the the right to self-determination and to be who you are is is so in line and congruent with the libertarian message. And it's really been a big disappointment for me to see that uh, our movement has not necessarily caught up with, you know, it's 2019. Right,
3: but check it out. Like with it being 2019, and to Alice's point, if if for example you enter into a conversation where somebody on the other side is defending their identity, right, but you enter into that conversation with somebody who is defending their religion, now you're 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 in an impasse because God doesn't move, nor does identity. So how do we bridge that gap? You know what I'm saying? Because it's not as though somebody just, you know, uh, yeah, there are cases where people just have these ideas for the sake of having these ideas because it's easier to be told what to think than to think for themselves. But if somebody founds their beliefs in you know, some sort of religious ideology and they're squaring off against somebody who's you know, grounded in their identity as a, as a person, like at that point, then it doesn't matter who's willing to change their mind. Nobody's going to be able to talk. The second somebody invokes God in a conversation, the conversation, the debate stops. The marketplace of ideas does not have time for that. It's It, it doesn't work. It can't well, work. I
0: mean, so what What? What? you're highlighting is an, is an instance where I do believe that libertarianism does have a solution because in, in those situations, you know, libertarian philosophy would only dictate that you have mutual respect for one another and that you don't. Go out of your way to harm or or to or to steal or you, you know like these basic things that doesn't violate one another's fundamental liberties and you know uh, the religious individual and and the person you know like we can use the masterpiece cake shop uh, cases as an example like uh, I, I the libertarian would say that those two people can go their separate ways and you know uh, that. They don't necessarily have to hurt one another. But yeah, I the thing mean, is, like like th- we th- have to win the
3: argument. So somebody's got to win. That's why we have these actions, yeah, you, don't, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying uh, probably, uh,
1: I believe I was asked a direct question, so I'm going to address that before the next one. Um, one, the right's not perfect. And two, you mentioned, I don't even know how to go back to exactly what you said about capitalism, and I, we don't need to, but if you need a... Great example of the Republicans doing something wrong, capitalism correcting it. Uh, just look at what happened in North Carolina when they passed HB two, and North Carolina lost billions upon billions of dollars of revenue based on the NCA. Every professional sport pulling out of the state, saying we will not host events there. That was a great example of... But
4: why should it be on private corporations to rectify the wrongs of government? Because sometimes
1: the nutcases get in charge and make the wrong decisions. But I feel
4: like now all of a sudden our society expects it of big business to rectify the wrongs of government. Our society
1: should never expect that.
4: I mean, but that's what's happening in our society. That is what's happening in our society. Like, we expect government, the businesses to be in charge of like green policy and all these things when i really believe it's the responsibility of the government not business so we're cap- we have taken capitalism so far to the point where we're expecting the businesses to rectify the wrongs of the government
1: your question was about transgender bathroom rights no that wow. was what you said earlier was was people not being allowed to use the bath yeah go you don't have to stay we can yeah go yeah, so that was that was I was making that wait, 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 point specifically me. about my that. Oh, um, no. Wait. To answer your also question, also let me
9: know screen. when I'm allowed to ask my question.
1: But um, well, that can go either way. At what point is it not the government's role and it should be corporations' role? It, those two things. That that conversation
3: is endless. Yes, it is. And with yeah, and that, I feel like
9: we're kind of going down a rabbit and hole with it. Ahead. So and with that, I do have a question, Adet. Yes. you made a comment and you said someone has to always win. Why is my question? Why can't it be an agree to disagree? Why do we? Why do you think we are so focused on making sure that someone else agrees with our argument rather than saying, "Okay, you can think that, and I can think this, and you can do your life, and I'll do mine"? Because my question is. Yes, as a general topic, great, we can try and bridge this gap, but in law school, don't you think that you should be coming to school to have your views challenged and to accept that fact and to be able to respond in kind rather than someone having to come out a winner?
3: Um. Yes. I mean, I think you're absolutely right in the law school setting, but I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that we are of but a few people who have the privilege of being able to go and try to work toward a JD who get this legal training. That doesn't happen- but no 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 but outside of that to to your to your to, to your larger point and i mean i'm no i mean i'm just a guy trying to get a jd right so I like as you've said by all now. means like feel free to disagree however i do think that people are so emotionally invested in the positions the the flagpoles that they that they stick into the earth like these are the hills that they are willing to die on and because these are the hills that they are willing to die on, then they, it's not a matter of, you know, moving the needle. It's a matter of them feeling satisfied in the moment that they've been able to convince you. And- when that type of affirmation isn't reciprocated, then I think maybe you find people, you know, getting louder, and we start talking past each other in these particular instances. I don't think that the walking into a conversation thinking that you have to be right—that's an absolutist viewpoint. I don't believe in absolutes. I don't believe in extremisms because like things that just don't make sense, I have a hard time grasping. Right? Um, I understand having viewpoints. I understand like being adamant, ardent proponents of particular viewpoints but you have to be able to <clears throat> recognize that other people don't share those viewpoints. They, when people step outside of the bubbles that they're used to yelling into, um, it, it shocks people, I think. And that maybe goes down more to like a closer closer to the, the uh, human nature. It shocks people like, oh my God, everybody else has agreed with me when I've had this conversation thus far. Now people are not agreeing with me. Now uh, I'm getting pushback where I haven't always gotten pushback before. And maybe that's hard for people on an individual level to process. Um, but so the notion about people always being right. Also, America, we're super individualistic. Like other societies are communal, and communal by nature. Like we are, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, pre-existing condition, psh, not me type of thing. Like that's how we roll. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> ha ha! Please laugh. Okay, Amy, <laughs> Amy
4: Klobuchar, aka Jeb Bush. No, but, I mean, watch they, her they, town they, hall. Yeah, Amy
3: Klump, she has about as much personality as, anyway, I don't want to talk about any of that. No, it's not true. Don't, no don't one has there. less
1: personality <laughs> than Judd Bush. Go ahead. I don't it know. So, like I mean, short head answer
3: head to your question, head. and I'll pass it off to the rest of the people on the panel. I just think that people don't like being put, I don't think people like uh, pushback. I don't think people like friction. I think people want to be right. Like, just generally speaking, people want to be right. If they've uh, mustered enough courage to stand up and, and, and. Plant a flag on something that they believe in, whether it be related to their identity, their religion, their their, their just their perspective on the world. They don't want to be told that they're wrong. They don't expect pushback, and when they get that, like the default defense mechanism is to, you know, come back claws out. Like I'm going to win this fight, and like there won't be a winner, but like I'm going to yell super loud. This is kind of how we roll. I don't know. I can't speak to it because I'm not, you know, Jane Goodall or whatever she does. That was
4: super dismissive. Ooh yeah, ooh. yeah I don't we were started hype. out strong we're, we're, and it's super are, dismissive of a very important and strong woman but we will no no jane, jane, jane goodall <laughs> understands the
3: behavior of animals and like let's let's not forget monkeys, that we as, humans, we as humans we as humans are animals so like that's where that was i'm sorry that was over your head you should stand up <gasps> jk lol yeah
4: jk lol <laughs> perfect hey, cheers and chug. cheers to that cheers
3: cheers and and chug. Chug. anybody else got
4: something
8: Thank you for the opportunity to speak. So I have a comment (laughs) and um, a question. So the comment is uh, I'm saddened and quite frankly disappointed that the Dialogue de Novo Executive Board ultimately decided to exclude their third host from this panel. Mm. I feel like he. But here you are. Can I can I actually address this? See, Mm. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm an avid
1: listener on the executive board, uh, and I'm trying I'm trying to silence you. Seeing as I'm on the the executive board. The third the third host of our show is just horrific. He's just terrible, and so we had to exclude him. It's not our fault. Go ahead.
8: What was your question? No, you, I understand you're why you're host. a conservative, Richard.
1: And you are always
8: invited. <laughs> huh? So my, my question is directed to the, the panel as a whole, but I would very much rather like it if Adet answers first. Uh, it seems that both from the left and right, there's uh, sentiment that American culture and value is eroding as a direct cause of the action of the opposing party. So uh, I, I would just like to hear from your subjective view what the an American culture and value, what are the American culture and values that's a that offense. are being referred to? No,
3: that's a fantastic question. I remember one time, and, and pardon me for giving you this... New, uh, this uh not exact on point answer right i remember in eighth grade i had a an english teacher ask us she posed a question to the class what does it mean to be an american and i pose that same question here just rhetorically like what does it mean to be an american if anybody has the answer to that then they're probably carrying tiki torches because the thing about what it what it means to be an american is that we are a melting pot we are collection of cultures we are collection of values um, I don't think that it's fair to say, in any respect, that there is any one culture, cultural identification point that we can look to, any one set of values that we can point to. For example, um, <clears throat> uh, my brother, he, you know, grew, grew up with the whole life. He's got black siblings, right? My sister and I, half brother, half sister. But that's neither here nor there. My brother voted for Donald Trump in this last election, right? And I asked him. I said, I mean. You've heard some of the some of the rhetoric. I just I'm curious. I want to you know what you're talking about. Well, his values, my brother's values, are that you know as an ardent Catholic that you know a- abortion is a wrong. And Donald Trump is going to be more likely to nominate somebody to the Supreme Court who's going to allow Roe v. Wade to, or I guess it's Casey v. Pennsylvania at this point, to be challenged. Right? Get rid of the undue burden standard that Sandra Day O'Connor put down for us. I was like, okay, I mean, I guess I can respect that. I was like, what about like everything else? He was like, you know, all of that other stuff, it's like, you know, that takes a back seat. I was like, cool. But then he said, but I voted Democrat down the rest of the ticket. I was like, that's curious. You voted for Tammy Duckworth? He was like, yeah, that's, I was like, that's a, de- a Democrat, right? And I had to explain to him how the like the whole advice and consent process worked. Right. So when people start voting or people start people start voting based on values without thinking of that second step, you know, Donald Trump nominates Brett Kavanaugh. Do you think Tammy Duckworth Duckworth is going to vote to confirm Tam, uh, Brett Kavanaugh? No, you're contradicting yourself in your in, in your moment. But that for him in his version of what America is. That's what his values are. And you could probably find that across the board, depending upon what their, what their upbringing was, like how far removed are they from, you know, being first or second generations? How much of the old world values are kind of being imputed upon the way that they live their lives? I do not think that there is any standard that I can point to that say this is an American value. There's no no rule book that, that outlines what that means, I, to be honest with you, I can't even necessarily define what an American is outside of a legal context, you know, somebody that was either born here or naturalized naturalized here. But I mean, other than that, like, those people are also Americans born elsewhere. So it gets us kind of back to where we started. So if we can't define necessarily what an American is, then how is it then we can necessarily define what the values of Americans are?
4: Okay. I agree with almost everything he said, almost, yeah.
10: almost. Let's get it.
4: I super disagree that America is a melting pot. Um. I don't understand why that term came to be. I think America is much more of a salad bowl. I think that we have each, okay, and here's why I disagree with the melting pot. Because I say pot potato,
3: pot you say potato?
4: No, I don't even think it's that though, man. I oh, think up, that- I
3: not know, talk to
4: me. Like melting pot implicates that, like implies that we um, all meld together, right? Melting means that you're, I, I was a molecular biology major in undergrad, so I will go all the way down to the scientific level, but melting pot means that your structural components have come apart and melded with the other structural components. That is not what has happened in America. I feel like we all have our own cultures, and I'm speaking, okay, forget about everyone else, I'll talk about myself. I am an American born, Kentucky born, daughter of Indian immigrants. But I have a very strong identity to my Indian background and my American background. I did not melt as much as they wanted me to, and boy, did they want me to growing up. Man, they wanted me to melt into exactly what they were. I wasn't gonna do it because my parents raised me to be a very strong Indian woman while I was born in America. So I held very tightly to those other cultural components that came with where I was born, who I was born to. So that's why I feel like melting pot is not as appropriate as salad bowl. If you think about a salad, it's a bunch of whole components that are mixed together. They coexist. They create the whole flavor, but they did not – Come apart to form together. Do you See, know what I mean? I do,
3: I, I do. Yeah. But like, I push back a little bit. But, all right, so there's this, this notion of dark matter, right? This this unknown. I know I'm getting like super outside of the scope of my expertise, yeah. right? Which oh, is yeah. super, li- super oh, limited. Oh, we have an audience question. In in yeah, but let me can I finish no, this yeah, one. No, yeah, on?
4: definitely.
3: All right. So yeah. like, there is. A th- I
4: will allow a dad to finish his point. <laughs> and, and for that, I am appreciative.
3: All right. So there's this thread that I don't know. Uh, that I can't identify that even you being first generation of indian parents being an indian growing up in america is kind of connected by like i mean my father he talks to me as i am talking to you you know what i'm saying i come i too come from a different type of like realm but the fact is is that you know whether you you actively seek it out or not the way that you view the world comes from the perspective of somebody who has indian parents who grew up in america right so when like when people say that you need to do this you those are people that have this this notion of what it means to be an american and what they perceive an american that needs to be but i mean the fact that i don't think it's a salad bowl because i mean i don't know if i can point to the exact you know separation of ingredients that that you know defines my Nigerian side from my American side well, completely there's a bl- fair. there's yeah, a blending absolutely. there that happens so that's where in my view how like the whole notion of a melting pot at, happens because I don't know where one begins and one ends I just know that totally
4: understandable I actually absolutely accept what you're saying see yeah we
3: just had a conversation y'all look at that so Sorry. yeah
1: as the to me the when they say melting pot you're still American we, given your upbringing, I'm Jewish. I grew up in the South. Well, that's a very different upbringing besides the whole, you know, South thing. <laughs> because Kentucky, we can, we count you. And I'm still Thank considered you. American. So as a melting pot, I didn't just offend you as a Kentuckian, did I? So as a melting pot, hey, listen, you dominate the SEC in basketball. So as a... Oh, as a,
4: fuck, UK. As Ugh, a, uh, Cardinals all the way. Okay, you dominate the AAC.
1: So... <laughs> So I'm as speaking in acronym. as the American American Athletic Conference, so as in the Thank Southeastern you. Conference, so as Thank a ACC, the the point of it being a melting pot is that yeah, while they may be divided or different, they still all come together to make up what is America. And anyone that tells you that you're not doing the right thing to be American can go fuck themselves.
4: I love that sentiment, no. but also at the same time. I think my big issue with Melting Pot is that it almost erases my Indian identity, which is a big part of who I am and a big part of the reason I am. The way
1: anyone that tells also you that your identity needs to be erased can go it's fuck right.
3: themselves. No, it's yeah, yeah, a audience question, audience question. Audience no. part question. of what it makes America, America,
1: though. Go ahead.
10: Hi, guys. Okay, so I'm going to piggyback off the salad thing because I really like that. Um, and then I have another question that goes with it. So... I like the salad metaphor because I do think people come into something as a whole, but there are like things that tie us together. Like maybe the tomatoes and the strawberries get along because they're fruit, right? The but dressing gotta, gets us all nice and well, that's wet. What, well, that's oh, what I was
2: gonna God. say. So, <laughs> 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 d- hey, Liz, uh, this has been weird. the last episode. <laughs> Notice <but>, uh, <laughs> that
11: that
3: was the lone female <laughs> yeah. participant on this panel that made yeah. that joke. Not this, not any guys. Yeah, joke.
10: that that was quite saucy. Um, yeah.
3: Ah. Oh. I see what you did there. Um,
10: so I was gonna ask. So in your metaphor, then what is the dressing that makes it a Caesar salad or a sesame salad or so? Because then it really is just an indistinguishable thing that you're waiting to to make something else, right? And then to kind of like use that metaphor too so you've got like the tomatoes and the strawberries and maybe they share things in common but they don't so much with the lettuce like they're crunchy and they're fresh but the lettuce is is also very different and it, you know it like grows from the ground and not on a bush not yeah to, like, go i love everything you here. said by yeah. the way <laughs> um, i could keep i could
4: listen to you talk about that for so years <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest
10: okay are fruit, fruit.
4: i'm gonna um, i'm gonna the dressing thing yes i love that because what Adat was saying, "That's what I feel like is the dressing."
3: The dark matter.
4: Yeah, I'm gonna let him talk about that because when when he was talking, I was like, "That's a dressing. That's a dressing. That's what holds us all together." So he can talk about that.
3: I don't have anything more to say on that than what I said, but I do. I mean, I, I think really the do bowl deal. is what
1: holds it all together. Oh, I wanted well, to go on record and say that.
3: That's what kind of. Do you what think the bowl is round or, or flat? <laughs> space, but like
1: flat proved to me that it's round.
3: Alabama, so
1: it was all staged yeah it no was. no
3: no. i dig you though like the whole notion of a salad right uh with like everybody having their own individual parts and sometimes some flavors accent each other very well and like other times you know a little salt and pepper is what's needed to bind things uh, if you want to talk about what the dressing is though like that's in in my view uh, what it what what it means to be an american like I can't define it, but I know that it holds everything together. I know that it keeps the particular parts of myself and my heritage, my culture uh, together and and forming this unique kind of flavorful spoonful, forkful, or whatever that exists within said bowl, right?
4: So maybe the dressing doesn't have a specific... I use
1: chopsticks with a salad.
4: Thank you, Richard. In uh, Alabama. I don't think the dressing needs to have a specific definition. I think that Maybe the dressing is that everyone has their own version of dressing, but that's what unifies us. So for me, the dressing is the fact that, yes, I am a crouton, let's say. I'm toasty, I'm brown, I'm very flavorful, I have a strong presence, I'm not oblivious to any of those things. But then the dressing- And you try to get
0: at least one in every bite.
4: Yeah, absolutely, But. The difference is that the dressing is what makes me American, and what makes me American is the fact that I have a voice. I can be here today with an organization that was started by self proclaimed conservative males. You know?
0: Don't forget white.
4: And white, yeah, sure. We're also straight. white. Let's go down all those paths. fine, then. Straight, white conservative males who yeah. are in a position of privilege, they're in law school. but the fact yeah, being is,
1: Jewish in Alabama was a goddamn cake. Go ahead. Can I chime in?
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. so I'd like okay. I'd like to <laughs> mostly
0: abandon the salad metaphor. <laughs> I think it's played itself out. but I, I you know i I hope that. Okay, I'm gonna go back to it. The dressing might be okay. uh,
2: Okay,
4: it was a good metaphor. Admit it, you guys hated it, but you loved it.
0: Um, I, you know, I, I hope that, and, uh, that there is something, you know, that that where in the United States, civic participation, we're all trying to orient ourselves towards the same common goals. You know that despite our differences, and, and I agree that you know, we're not exactly a melting pot, in that we have built a society that we're allowed to preserve some of our individual culture, and, and in fact, hopefully it's concer- it's uh, encouraged, and maybe if it wasn't in the past, hopefully it's getting better, but that even despite our differences, we can orient ourselves towards, you know, we, we want these certain things for one another, and we want to get better. And and um, though we may differ in the policies that we prescribe to, to further those goals, that We're all pointing in the same direction, and I think that that might be the unification that uh, is so unique to the United States. And and this is something I brought up on my episode of the podcast when I was talking about libertarianism, is that fundamentally we, we, we misattribute motives to people that we disagree with politically. And This kind of goes to the heart of what we're talking about this evening. That you know, because my policies are so different from yours, and what I would what I would say is the fix to certain problems are so different than yours, then it must be the case that we disagree on the endpoints. And that's just not true. Uh, you know, th- there are obviously some aberrations that uh, that exist. I think on both sides of the extreme of, of each aisle. But for the most part, I think that we, 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 we all want to live in this kind of uterp- utopian egalitarian society where, where we don't have to worry about disease, poverty, everybody's educated. everybody has upward mobility, but you know we differ. And so I think that the fact that're we're, we're all looking at the same horizon line is, is kind of what makes America so unique.
3: Uh, so good point. That was dude that was super aspirational but I don't know if it's necessarily true. Like you know some people are looking in the reverse for where the horizon like used to be as to where we are actually heading. Um, and I don't mean that as a slight to what you said because what you said was beautiful. Like legit and and I'm with you 100%. I'm just talking about, you know, the segment that that exists that is absolutely willing to go back to, you know, 19 the 1950s or I mean, that's probably a little bit too mainstream uh of a knock against a particular set of views but you know for those who see this forward movement this progressive nature of society that i think is natural for those who see the, that as anathema to you know their existence their well-being i think that they might have uh, you know something to kind of push back at and they may lean on the libertarian values that you espouse to substantiate that claim not saying that it's right but i guess maybe then the question would be like how do you reconcile two people with the same political ideology viewing the world so vastly different
0: was that a rhetorical question or do you want me to answer it
3: i mean if you've got an answer i'd love to hear it can I don't you repeat know. it yeah let me let me go back to can I check the record
0: because I, w- I stopped listening
3: okay Skate. so you take oh, all right cool man you almost had me like having to reach back in my brain and stuff all right go ahead anybody want any more whiskey no i don't i don't believe in alcohol
0: do we have another audience question
1: <laughs> when's this episode coming out in may six. <laughs> it's no longer Passover ever for all my Jewish friends listening well also you're not of allowed like to drink whiskey on
7: offer a commentary on your question to Jake I what I'm hearing is like the the kernel of that was basically like how can people who like identify as being like po- pretty much polar opposites have a conversation about anything I mean I feel like that's sort of, like, very much an echo of what I posed to you all earlier. Because, um, like, especially, like, one all you like, <laughs> that was me and Jake. Like, very much so. Um, but we had a lot of other stuff in common. Like, mostly Kara, because I like her a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. Well done,
4: Kara, Jake. I, are, I like her a lot. Kara, Kara you She's are the salad dressing. probably the best dressing. thing that's ever become <laughs> yeah, yeah, of is. you as a person.
7: No, I mean, but, you know, there are other people... Who who I know from school and we fundamentally disagree about a lot of things and like, we don't dislike each other but we're not friends because we don't have other things in common so we don't make an effort to talk to each other. But Jake and I do have other things in common. We used to be roommates actually, so we had to talk about stuff. You know, and like we have Kara in common and other friends so we consciously, and I think that this is sort of the important part is people have to consciously make an effort to decide to do that. And you know we were able to do that. Jake and Radhika were able to do that. Um, and you just have to be open, like have a willingness. Doesn't mean you're, I feel like it's even a step before deciding you're willing to change your mind about something, but just a willingness to hear what somebody else is going to say and like process that calmly. At the end, you might not agree, but that's okay. It still lets you sort of Live a happy day and like move on to the next one, and like, maybe you talk you. about it again. I uh, uh, shut up though. Okay, I
4: gotta say something. Please do quick. Please do. That's great. No, no, no it's, it's a, no, it's I'll beautiful. I will
0: say that I I I learned at least one thing from every conversation I have with Kate, you know, and and that's a great part of our friendship.
4: Yeah, my thing is it's it's great, it's great to move past talking past one another and talking with one another. But here's the thing. All of that is contingent upon the other person not attacking me for who I am. That's it. Like, I can get past policy conversations or, like, budget conversations or whatever. But if the other person's point is that you are wrong for who you are, that is something that will never get past. So I I just want these conversations to move past, like, is gay marriage okay? Like, that should not fucking be a conversation. Plus, Whereas a like- decided.
1: Who's still having that conversation?
4: Or, or like bathrooms, or trans identity, like these things are not, these are personal identity questions. <laughs> I I am willing to have any conversation that doesn't involve the very being of someone else. Because I'm allowed to be who I am. Because I'm a, like, straight-ish woman. So society allows me to exist. Congratulations to me. But, like, and I say straight-ish because it's a fucking spectrum, man. Like, accept that. But, like, what's not okay is that we are debating issues about the very identity of a person, like that is, that will never be okay. My mom, okay, I talk about my parents too much, but like my bad, they raised me and gave me every foundation that I have. Yeah, my parents, my mom taught me one thing as a child that I have carried every aspect of my life because it's so relevant beliefs are not important. People are important. So if your belief supersedes the livelihood of another person, guess what? Sorry, your belief isn't fucking important. My bad. But really, sorry, not sorry. No belief is important than the happiness and livelihood of another person.
7: I agree. I think you're raising an interesting point, too. So, like, this is not so much about my identity, but like my status in school, but a law school colleague of ours made fun of me the other day. People know that I'm getting a master's in social work. It's usually called an MSW, and he's like, "Oh, you're getting an SJW." And I was like, "What?" He's like, uh, social, "Social justice, justice warrior,", warrior. Yeah. which, you know, people know what you mean by that. proud. Right, and you know, I knew that that person meant it
2: as, as an insult,
7: and I was just like, "You know what? You're right." Like. That is the school I'm going to. That's the degree I'm getting. If you don't understand it, like that's okay. But I think that it raises some other points um, that that you were talking about. Is like it really moves the goalposts. Like I'm getting a professional degree that somebody doesn't think matters because they associate it with social justice issues. So it's really hard to have a conversation with somebody who thinks that and not talk past them about something. And I think that you're raising those issues too of if somebody can't even acknowledge that you have a valid identity, like wow, you're (laughs) really moving the goalposts. So it really shifts the conversation in a way that makes it hard to talk about things. So just to you all, like, what are your thoughts about how we can Correct that without overcorrecting, because I think that's a danger here.
1: You don't have to be a liberal or conservative to be a social worker. You don't have to be a liberal or conservative to care about other people. That's an absolutely asinine comment. My dad is far more conservative than me. He has a master's in
3: social work. So that they can go to hell. I've never said that to you. you. Just cross-examine them. It sounds crazy, but like ask him a series of pointed questions and walk them down the prim... I know who it is? Well, please. Uh, I mean, after nah, the fact, not have identity a microphone. known. Hey, since but you
1: have a microphone, who was it? No, she doesn't.
3: you can lead them down the primrose path. Like, ask, asking people questions, like, Terrible exposes the being. faults in their own logic when you force them to answer questions to substantiate whatever BS that they want to come with. Like, it sounds crazy, and especially coming from, you know, quasi-lawyers in training, to ask them, you know, short quick, responsive questions to which you already know the answers. It's just like, hey, all right, so I, I see that you automatically said that I am a social justice warrior. So by that, you mean that I am going to X. And, well, yeah, and you make them look stupid by their own answers, and then at the end of it, you just be like, just give them a look, the look which can't be seen on tape. Any hazards? Let the record reflect. We have another question from the audience.
1: Roddick, I didn't get a chance to answer that one.
9: Where is she? Yeah,
1: that's okay. why. Um,
9: can we have another break? Sponsored by Casper Mattresses. Because me, hold, I would like it to pose to the whole I, panel.
1: Can I one second? Yeah. Um. Let me let me also say that you, there we've gotten to a point where you feel the need to take a position on absolutely everything. I don't understand very very many topics, and and, and one of the, many many topics, and one of them is uh, global warming. I cannot argue one way or the other. I have no clue. I know that they say that 95% of scientists are in. I don't know how to prove that. Do, can anyone in this room actually, besides the broad strokes talking points, prove that to me? So I sit that one out. There is no harm in just sitting that one out. So the fact that we always feel that, that, that if you're not defending something, if you're not on the side of something, that you are just. An absolutely her- horrific person. I have absolutely nothing to contribute to that comp to that conversation, so why would I inject anything? If anything, I'm making the entire crowd dumber.
3: Moving on, uh,
4: I don't know what I missed. Global warming.
3: No, 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 no. I we, shouldn't
1: comment on it because
3: I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, right? So, oh. Yeah. <laughs>
4: Well, I have a science degree, so we could talk about that.
3: I have um, a goldfish, if we're talking about (laughs) things that don't really matter. I know a gal with a goldfish. Courtney.
4: I just have a quick
9: comment, more than a question, but it kind of leads back to a full circle question. So a comment. Um, Adette, you were in a class with me last semester where we experienced this exact same thing that almost kind of brought us here today, where in a school with 96% liberal voices, conservative voices are often shut down and are not able to speak. I have really enjoyed tonight, but I do think that the conservative voices have been shut down a little bit. Absolutely. And I, we're talking about shutting down I, the people who have different identities and who wanna express those identities, but how are we supposed to address those when we can't even, at the binary level of Democrat and Republican, we can't allow conservatives to speak, even in a law school environment. So I just, yeah, I'm just concerned, because I have I am on your guys' side, frankly. I lean that way, but I do like to hear other opinions, and I don't feel like I've heard a lot of them tonight. Um, So I just kind of want to know, it's almost a full circle. How did we get here, and what are we gonna do about it?
3: Uh, This is gonna get me in trouble. Um, but, I mean, I think that, you know, the uh, liberal monopoly that exists in this school is problematic and detrimental to, you know, a fair exchange of ideas on that marketplace that we speak of. Uh, to, 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 to get to the point that you, you spoke about with respect to being in a class, uh, fa- without belaboring the point, there's a professor, Perea, you guys may know him. Uh, you've had him on the show. This is our first interview. Right. And he, he has very, very liberal perspectives on things. And this is an employment law class where there was an issue, I believe, with uh, about uh, hair braiding cornrows and whether that is a, an immutable trait or not, right? And everybody in the classroom was, you know, piling on to the side of, like, how wrong the court was because they weren't able to recognize that this was a trait that was immutable to the African-American community. And I leaned over to a buddy of mine who's sitting right next to me, and I said, man, you know, they're talking about how nobody wants to listen to what it is they have to say, and the other side just wants to shout past them, but like, they are yelling at the wall right now. Everybody in the room agrees with each other, and it, was, it bothered me because— it's not a good idea to reach a decision without having dissenting points of view. If you don't have all the facts then you know why are you trying to jump to a conclusion and he raised his hand being the the ballsy dude that he is and essentially said that same point like well we're talking about one side being willing to listen to the other side but what we have going on in the moment is you know a very much a lack of that to which like mid thought he was interrupted by one of the more, you know, left-leaning individuals with the most loudest, with one of the loudest voices in the room, cut him off midstream to jump down his throat and tell him how wrong he was. And Professor Perea, understanding that he had an environment on his hands that was developing that was not uh, comfortable for a lot of people in the room, because you could sense that tension, right? Uh, He, after she's done berating my buddy, who's to my immediate left, he turns to my buddy and, it's like, do you, do you have anything else to say? And all my buddy said was that we just saw it play out in real time, precisely what I'm saying, precisely the issue that I'm raising on the flagpole. And, oh, my God. I mean, sitting next to him, it's like being in between these two tonight when they're going at it, you know what I mean? Like those daggers that they shoot back and forth have to go through me. It was incredibly uncomfortable. But the thing is is that she, he was on her side. 100% on her side. She didn't know that she didn't know him from Adam. but the fact is she was on he, he was on her side and she he was an, he was an enemy even though she was on the same team because he voiced a little bit of opposition to what like what the tenor of the classroom was. And that kind of brings home the point with respect to like you know, where are we going and how we got here? We got here because we have a lot of people that like have a voice now and that are using that voice but they' you know it, when you have when you have a hammer every problem is a nail. And when you continue to view opposing, opposing opposition, oppositional arguments in that way, then you're never gonna have that deft touch that is necessary in order for people to even be willing to hear you. Richard?
4: Okay, my only point is, only point is, if it's a, if it's a discussion about like, ideas, fine. If you're gonna attack my identity, oh, yeah. that's completely different. And what I feel most of the time is either attack against my religion, my skin color, my gender identity, my sexual identity, whatever it is. So like I'm 1,000 million percent willing to have a conversation about ideas or strategies or like what the approach to dealing with student debt is or what their approach to dealing with the mortgage crisis is or what the approach dealing with almost anything is but if it's going to boil down to you saying my existence is wrong me loving another woman wanting to marry another woman is wrong or something about my identity being wrong me being transgender i should not be allowed to use the bathroom that i want to use or anything like like if it comes down to my identity yeah i'm gonna push back on it because that is not right it's not right for the right to like super advocate for no government involvement but then super involve themselves in my uterus or anything like that it's totally different than us talking about like an economic strategy or how to approach the electoral process in our country those are totally different conversations and I feel like a big problem in our society is that we like conflate and it's understandable why that happens but we're like conflating so if you think that this thing is true then you certainly think that this thing is true and therefore we are enemies you know what I mean like it's gone from like discussing individual issues to like entire group identity. And here's one thing I'll never get it behind. You attacking anyone for their existence or their right to exist as the way they want to exist.
11: Yeah, me but too, man. Me too, man. Me, me too. Here we go. So my name's Brooke. Um half German, Schlickman, half Iranian, which a lot of people don't know because I mean <laughs> half Iranian, my mom's Muslim, my dad's Catholic. Obviously it didn't work out. Well <laughs> 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 <Again>. Great start. <laughs> so I I know your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I am kind of this is more of a comment than a question, but I do feel that there is a tendency to feel that there is a side that needs to be right when people are arguing. I don't know why we are I don't know why we haven't reached a point where it's not so much being right as opposed to just being understood or just having your opinions challenged. I for one find that people are nowadays just listening to respond as opposed to listening for comprehension and so that's a big problem i I have with a lot of uh just conversation in general and so i guess my question um or rather my comment is i just wish we get to a point where we are more listening for comprehension as opposed to just being able to respond and then also i do want to know why both sides are very much needing to be right why we can't just be challenged as opposed to just someone being a winner yeah and I think that question was posed earlier, but it wasn't really answered.
4: I mean, with me, it's a personal flaw. I mean, I know that. It is a flaw within step. my character. My husband has made this amply clear to me <laughs> if I didn't know it before, and I didn't, that I have this incessant need to be right all the time.
2: <laughs>
4: no, I mean, you guys are laughing. But you recognize
3: but it. Are you doing anything actively to, to address that? Like, when you, when you confront... Oppositional views are you
4: great question yeah, and like She's no, but here's the thing, Kate. like you would think I would yeah. came to law school to like better myself, but know. it was to f- further dig my heels into it. He- you, you a- um here's a i I know that's a character flaw personally. I am very aware of that, and that is something, especially in my marriage that I'm trying to fix, that I come to every conversation knowing that I'm right. Clearly, that's not the case because I'm a human being. Just being able to recognize that maybe sometimes you're not always right, even though you're very convinced that you're right. I mean, for me, it's just been able, like, it's my husband being like, listen, our marriage is not going to work if you travel down this path. And I'm like, shit, I really want our marriage to work <laughs> because a lot of people were there and it would be super embarrassing if this marriage didn't work out. <laughs> That's the most important reason that our marriage has to work. It's for the face value of it all. No, but it really is that like, I have had to come to the contention that I'm a very stubborn person and I've, I've existed from my perspective forever. And that will never change unless I am completely willing. And, like, genuinely listening is something that um, most people are not good at. It Something, even as a therapist, like, I, I went to three years of grad school and paid thousands and thousands of dollars to learn how to genuinely listen to a person. But it wasn't until I came to law school that I really realized that I was not genuinely listening to people. Genuinely listening means that you... When someone is talking, you're not preparing your answer. You're not trying to figure out what you're going to say to argue with them. You're actually just listening to them and reflecting on what they're saying. And that is something I have realized I really need to work on, and I've tried. And I understand that tonight, I'm not going to make excuses, but I did not do a good job of practicing that with Richard. But I want to, I want to. I have nothing
1: to contribute to this point.
4: I want to. I want
3: to. <laughs> uh, do you have anything, anybody else have anything on that last point before we take the next question from the audience?
1: <laughs> well, she kind of straw manned my point. Yeah. All right.
3: So, yeah. this I'm being told by the guy in my ear that this is the last question.
5: I have a theory and I want to hear your opinions on it. Uh, memes are destroying discourse. I agree with you completely. Continue. Um, <laughs> so, my theory is this. We live in an age of unprecedented connectivity and that allows us to form and discuss our opinions on a platform far beyond the scope and range of anything that we've had access to prior in our lives. And that's, that's genre neutral, that's opinion neutral. There's, there is more access. Most Uh of that access also happens to be public, both for the individuals who agree with that position and the individuals who disagree. I know in my experience, it is very difficult to engage with, for example, an individual who engages me on nameless, anonymous social media site that isn't Reddit. It's Reddit. It's Um, always Reddit. (laughs) Because they will say something that, in a vacuum, appears to be a reasonable, if against what I believe policy opinion, and inevitably I will click on their name and see that they are avid posters in the Donald and having posted like countless anti-everything memes being her- dealing with horrendous identity politics, and all of a sudden I'm incapable of having a legitimate conversation with this person. It doesn't matter that their single point in the vacuum is legitimate and arguable. The fact that I know that their portfolio of opinions includes those anti-identity epithets makes it impossible to have a conversation. So my question is, I suppose, in this age of the internet, is it possible to engage in discourse without nitpicking the entire um, persona of our opponent, and should we?
1: uh, Not on the internet, it's not possible, because there's thousands of people that can comment on every single thing you post, especially on Reddit and so no matter what you say in a popular forum which it sounds like you're going on it that would no matter what you post there's going to be a thousand com- comments both against you and for you so it's and they and for the most part 90% of those are going to be irrational on either side so it's no i, I don't think that there's I don't think that's a rational outlet you you kind of need to go to somewhere where there's, and I'm a member of a group on Facebook, which I actually just, there's 25 of us in there, and I've met one person in the group, besides Jake, that's, they're all from around the country. Um, there's people from Portland, Minnesota, anyway, I- anywhere, and and the idea is that we're all coming at it honestly. We're all coming at it with specific issues that we per, one, personal attacks are they're allowed but you get ridiculed if you go to that uh, in that group so and it's uh, and it sometimes you get thrown out it, there needs to be a better platform than especially things like Reddit especially things like YouTube and Twitter where you everyone involved needs to agree that they're coming in it honestly because quite frankly sometimes people are dicks and they just want to just say things that get a rise out of other people and that's a huge problem with forums that you're talking about. That you're not gonna you're you're not gonna get people that are coming at it honestly. You're gonna get people that just wanna get that not maybe not just want to get laughs, but are laughing at people that are reacting to ridiculous things that they've just posted. That's the thing with anonymous posters. You
3: just there's no accountability. Go ahead. So like <clears> Hank, <throat> Can you and should you was the question, right? I think the question. I think you can. I don't think that you should. And this might seem kind of counterintuitive to the whole notion of you know, building a, a greater discourse, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that there are there is a percentage of the population that are fixed in their views and reasoning cannot penetrate their bubble, and they are unwilling or unable to hear what it is that that you may have to say counter to wherever they like hold fast at. And I'd venture to guess with 35% of the population that just can't be reached. Um, and sometimes you just have to realize, you have to cut your losses and realize, uh, are you throwing good money after bad? Are you wasting your energy, your effort, your time? And can that be, can that attention and that energy, that can that focus be more appropriately directed at folks that there is a possibility that you might be able to reach them. There is something in there that is still human. Um, not to say that these people aren't human. Um, I don't think that it's worth the time, though. Um, and I get you know, criticized for this regularly when I voice this opinion amongst friends who you know, want to hug every tree and save the entire planet. But I don't think that you can hug every tree. Like some trees are you know, just not meant to be hugged. And those, those, those folks are you know, hell-bent in their ways. And you have to kind of accept that. And move on and don't waste the time. Can you better direct your energies elsewhere? And if you can, if the answer is yes, then do so. Even when they say something that kind of opens the door to make it seem like you might be able to have a legitimate discussion or a legitimate debate with them. Uh, you won't penetrate any further than that particular point. And if you want to convince somebody of a particular point, I mean, all well and good, but what what's the end game? I mean, what is it? Grape worth the squeeze, juice worth the fruit. Juice worth the squeeze. Yes, that. You know, that's my thoughts, briefly, anyway.
7: So one of the topics that we were going to talk about was this, like, impact of social media, right? So sort of, like, anecdotally, I saw my parents over the weekend. I was talking to my dad. He wants to build something, but he's not sure exactly how he's going to do it. I was like, oh, you should look up, like, a woodworking Reddit to see, like, how other people are doing it. And he, I mean, my dad's older. He genuinely thought that Reddit was like an alt-right thing (laughs) because that's like all he, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) is he wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Right, but because that's all he knows about it in the news. Like most 60-year-olds like probably don't really like Reddit all the time. But I think that it illustrates this like larger point about sort of like what things become known for. And I guess my question is like, that's how I mean Reddit became what it is because they don't really moderate anything. So I guess my question is like, how do we moderate that? And should we, or do we just wanna like let those things become those things? Uh, You know, so sort of, or is there like a utility to like not supporting a platform that like allows that kind of discussion?
1: What do you mean we moderate?
7: I. As a society,
1: got like governmental or pe- personal. That was
7: your secondary question on this. I, like, because no, society or
1: the the what well, we moderating means as us as people just stop using Reddit. I think that's fine, but governmentally means the government moderates it. Government regulates it. So that's that's a different thing.
7: Yeah, except that telling people to stop using Reddit is like. Obviously a very easy answer to make because people can choose people already can choose to use it or not. Yeah So should we as a society and I guess like through that as a governmental agency should somebody Affirmatively Moderate it.
3: I think you're scratching the surface of a debate that will be in the headlines front and center in in the months and years to come as these social media platforms get larger, as their influence becomes more, and more yeah, especially wide-reaching, in
4: the 2020 election, election. When you're talking it's a big about deal. the
3: ability, like I mean, Russia was able to reach what 184 million people using social media, um, and you can't, as you know, you can't as a stakeholder in this in this democratic system of governments that we live, whether you're a private entity holder or not. You can't just be hands off and say, well, we are going to allow it because everybody has equal access to this platform. Like, so yes, you have private entity, and this might push up against you know, a libertarian viewpoint. You have a private entity that you know enlists more than a billion people where you know, messages can be spread and sent without being checked to the detriment of the republic. That's a, an interesting question of law, in fact, that I think is going to be answered, and is, they're in the process of doing it now by calling these, these CEOs to task. I think uh, I don't think anybody on this panel is capable of providing real any real insight into it, other than that there are people that are going to be answering that question. Because I think there's something to it. You can boycott it, right? I mean, like people people are happier when they get off Facebook. You know, there was a study that was just recently released. You know, especially with you know these uh, the, the 2020 election coming up. You know, people are when they disconnect and they're not dealing with all this, you know, political uh, nonsense. They they feel better. They sleep better at night. They recommend don't use any Facebook an hour before you go to bed. Like what? I mean, what? Ta- no one thought about that when it first started. But I mean, it's still so early. Nobody knew the potential of this beast when it was when it was first founded. When it was first created.
0: Uh, uh Let's do some closing thoughts.
1: Uh, hold on. Well,
0: I do want to
3: no. answer that. <laughs>
0: we can't hold on. We only had this room till nine.
1: Yeah, and nobody's kicking us out. So, yeah, nobody's kicking us out. So, um, no, I don't think we should regulate it. If we don't want to use it, don't use it. Uh, as far as governmental intervention, I I don't because I don't I disagree because there's going to be something else that pops up what if Reddit were to be completely minimized, completely. Uh, Basically obliterated at that point. It, all, all this gonna, it, it, silencing crazy voices is only going to cause them to get more radicalized. It's only going to cause them to find another outlet. They will. They they always have. So that's I I I don't think that any kind of intervention other than just stop using Reddit as individuals is worthwhile because something else is going to come up where that's going to be the new reddit you tell them not to use reddit well, hold on though
3: man like let's 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 step back from like okay people can boycott it if they want to what if the end result of the use of that social media platform uh-huh. is anathema to our system of governance as we know it if it is causing a clear and identifiable harm to the things that we hold dear how is it that we can just say hands off? It's up to all of you to to not use it. This is like saying, you know what? Like we're not gonna ban you drinking and driving. We just we're gonna strongly advise that you don't consume alcohol before you get behind the wheel of a car. That that's because
1: there were conspiracy theorists before there were the internet. So like to and and message boards and things like that. So to to. To say that but now they have a platform that millions of people... They had a
3: platform before. Not like they have in the age of social media. Oh, sure, because the KKK wasn't a thing in the 50s. That's neither here nor there. What I'm talking about is that the messages of hate and discontent that they're able to spread now by virtue of typing and hitting enter is vastly different than it was 25 years ago.
1: Now, if you're not looking and nobody... And the people who weren't... Who's affected, not looking? Everyone's pe- got a smartphone. The, the people who weren't affected by the KKK were people who weren't looking at the KKK. The people who
3: aren't affected by Reddit are the people who aren't looking at Reddit. I think that's a rather ineffective dodge. Is it our responsibility to argue
5: with bad-faith actors not for the benefit of changing their minds, but for the benefit of demonstrating a more
0: logical viewpoint for undecided third parties? Yes.
3: Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it is, dude. It is. I already know the answer to my question. No, you're question. absolutely right. You are You ask a question, you know the answer yeah,
1: to I would Yeah, I wouldn't expect like a magical thing to happen on that thread, but yes, it is your. It is our duty to say things
3: like that, Yeah.
0: yes yes uh, yes yeah, it, that's that's always my position uh more speech is always better than less speech and it, if you're not trying to convince the person you're in the debate with like you said you're trying to t- convince anybody who might be listening
5: so is the answer to bad faith not solid accepting diverse conversation
0: right right and and, and i didn't really weigh in exactly and thank you on, queen on yes uh, everything she said on your question alice but you know i i think that Part of the problem one is that you know on the internet we tend to view people with like you know multiple different facades like where maybe their views are more spherical we view them as octagonal you know like so we we tend to have these very you know very discreet uh windows into into their viewpoints and that's really not how people are in real life so it i i think it's always worth engaging you know obviously you have to use a little bit of, of discretion and judgment because some things are just completely petty, but do it not because you're trying to convince that person. do it because really like the platform is yours as much as it is any other right-wing conspiracy conspiracy theorist or or anybody else you know it, it's just as much yours. so but
4: what about do it because it's your very identity and who you are as a person yeah, that's yeah. being pushed back against and well, if do it for if that, you that reason too. If you as a person realize that people are attacking not your identity, but the identity of your brethren, of a classmate, of a sibling, of someone you care about, even if it's fucking someone you don't care about, if you see that someone is attacking the identity, the existence, the right for someone else to be happy, I don't understand why we're all not pushing back against that.
0: I think most people will.
8: Anyway, I don't
4: think it's true. I don't <laughs> think it's true that most people are pushing back against that. Otherwise, we would not be where we are at right now as a society. I think the salad dressing that we were talking about earlier is our ability to leverage our privilege, our education, and our Absolutely. Thank power you, power you, Alice. Our fellow citizen. God, yes. Professors.
0: So let's do some final thoughts.
3: <sighs> Great point, Alice.
0: Okay. Uh, sh- She's followed them. She's phoned. I
4: wanna, I uh, wanna give my final thoughts to Alice. Can you just say what you just said in the mic, please? Okay, so that's my final thoughts. She, Everything. Radhika
0: is now. giving her final thoughts to Alice.
5: Oh gosh, now I'm nervous.
4: The no, <laughs> say exactly what you just said. The salad
5: dressing that we were talking about earlier is our ability to leverage our privilege, our education, and our freedom of speech to ensure that we are propping up those individuals who need it and combating the bad faith
3: actors that seek to destabilize us.
4: Absolutely 100%.
0: A debt.
3: I mean it's really hard to follow that because I mean but in all honesty though the reason why I, I mean a lot of the people that I associate with, associate with went to law school is to be able to do just that like to be able to find ourselves with a seat at the table so not only do we have to not only are we allowed to be there, are we, are we conferred this, 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 this privilege of being there, but we have the right to flip the table on its head when things are going wrong. And we're, we, we do that through our hard work, and we do that because other people can't. We do that because we're in situations where that is possible. So I'm with that 100%. It's the purpose of like, this, this furthering this degree. It's the purpose of having a conversation like we're having right now. And I can't add anything else to what you said, so I'm just going to co-sign with what Alice said. I don't
1: have I don't know I don't I don't know I've been sitting here mostly silent for the last hour and I've been looking at the clock it's been about an hour I haven't contributed much to this conversation because uh, I felt like everything I was saying I was gonna jump down my throat for which is fine but it's oh. at a certain point that's where I'm at so I don't know but I, I don't really have anything left to contribute to this conversation. I, I, I'm i I'm out. Right. Having said that, I what are your don't. Thoughts? What? what are your Why are we here and what can we do about it? That's what my point was to be here, and my entire point of helping to create this platform was to give multiple people many different viewpoints. Um, in one sense, we've done that tonight, in one sense, we haven't. So there's that. Having said that, I'm not going to end this on a negative note. This is my last podcast. So I'm going to say uh, this has been a phenomenal experience. I've been at this for a year. We got this off the ground. This uh, I, I don't regret it. This has been a great, great experience. Jake was a phenomenal partner in this. Nico, even though he, one, wasn't here tonight at all, except for the one question that he asked. And two, um, Shots
10: fired.
4: And,
1: and, and two, Nico gives
7: me a hug every time he, I see him. He, I yeah. like Nico. And, and
1: Nico's, <laughs> Nico's great, and to, Nico's great. And, and we had a conversation. If you have, if this is your first episode listening, we had a great yeah. conversation Nico about the, Joe Biden, about atheism versus theism, <laughs> unless he's behind you sniffing her. And then we had theism versus atheism, and he, um, he, he that that's really what brought him on. But Nico has been a great addition, as, nope. has, as has Kate. If you're looking for an opposing viewpoint and somebody who will give nope, it to I'm you as full-throated, I'm not done, as Richard. full-throated, I'm not done, as full-throated as you would like, as, as, as absolutely as hard-headed as you can, Kate has been a tremendous addition to this podcast. So I wanted to thank everybody that's contributed. Great, and good luck to everybody moving forward.
4: I have a question, though, Richard.
1: Sure, let's in on a negative note. Go
4: ahead. <laughs> um, did you get anything out of this conversation that we had tonight? Yes,
1: did you? Oh.
4: Baby you don't think that's Shark a fair D- question? D- okay, D- fair D- enough. D- I will Baby backtrack, D- backtrack, backtrack, backtrack. Okay, Back. I will backtrack that hey, if I'll you don't think that's a fair question. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I'd like to echo Richard's thoughts. Richard... Uh, was the uh, the guy who had the idea for this podcast. And uh, I think that it, w- it was a terrific idea. We, none of us would be here this evening if it weren't for that. Um, I like to think that it, maybe I added a few bits and pieces along the way. But really, uh, this was started for that reason. And I hope that other people will find this useful. And uh, it's it's a weird feeling um, saying goodbye to it.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't want to overstate, but I do want to thank all y'all for like you know bringing me on the show. I'm, I'm really appreciative of being able to come here. I'm really happy th- that like I've been able to go through this law school journey with the both of you and y'all's out there in the peanut gallery from day one. Richard always being able to check my check my crazy at the door. Uh, so like, by to be doubling to
1: s- down on the crazy, <laughs> by doubling down <laughs> on the
3: crazy, right? It's crazy that we're both friends. Like I'm from the inner city. He's from the from the from the country from the country. Like how? Can, <laughs> how that's how a, story. Possibly, that's a story that we're not going to get into <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah man man man, you guys have done a hell of a job doing this podcast man and i appreciate that i'm able to be a part of that like yeah. let, let last a little bit
4: yeah and i'll say um my last question was not fair i agree completely that was super antagonistic and i'm not just blame that on the half bottle of bourbon that i drank yeah. um i want to really thank you guys jake and richard kate nico mm-hmm. You guys really did something different. You, you like made an effort to publicize a conversation that I think a lot of us as law students were having individually. You decided to bring it to a public forum. That was incredible. And I think as white males, you did a good thing by allowing us who are not white males to have a voice. And not only did you start this, you may I mean like you guys created this thing from the ground up, but then you chose the board and you chose me. Me. I mean, you guys saw
3: Richard might be regretting that a little bit right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean we Richard. <laughs> I'm not, and I'm I not, I not have regretting it, z- but I'm not I'm
1: not I'm more than just a I'm not regretting it, but I'm more than just a white male. I I, I do have a different experience than other white males that you're describing. Uh, again, I grew up Jewish in Alabama. Let's not downplay that people did not come to me every single day begging me to accept Jesus Christ in my heart because they thought I was going to burn in hell because of it. Fair like, on. let's not – this whole absolutely coming in and looking at me as my pure identity is bullshit, and I'm tired of it, and you, I don't want to get into this right now, but I, 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 I cannot stress further enough – that the assumptions that you think that I have been making about you, you have absolutely been making about me, and I cannot stand it.
4: That's completely fair. I agree with 100% of everything. You know that
3: whole lefty right thing?
4: That was that, that's that. Yeah, I I agree. We just saw it play out in real time. I agree, I agree, and I wanna thank you. You created this platform and you allowed me to have a voice in it, and I wanna thank you for that. Even though I push back against you a lot of the time. You're You're gonna
1: keep having a voice. And that's important in the fact that this has been this heated is something that I want to continue, not something that I want to stop after we finish this. I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. I
4: appreciate you you guys for creating this thing and giving us a voice. I really do.
1: Thank you. And on that note, for the last time ever, I'm Richard Leibovitz. I'm Jake Ruhm. And thank you. This has been Dialogue De Novo.